Seinfeld, the gum is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap of podcast about nothing. And now here are the two guys who may need to be institutionalized because of their passion for Seinfeld. I'm Rob Sistino. Here is Akiva. Don't call me crazy Winokur. How's it going, Rob? How are you? Good. I'm glad the uh, summer Florida tour is over. Back home. Back home. Yeah. Are you stocked up on ginseng gum? We do have a lot of gum because I was on uh, three airplanes in the last few days. Yes. And uh, my daughter, you know, the, my kids travel with about as much gum as humanly possible. My daughter's like a, a gum dealer, but like for drug dealers, she'll be like on the plane. She'll turn to me. She'll be like, all right, you want mint? You want like uh, you want like the bubblelicious? You want like the, the stuff that comes that you like unroll it? Mm-hmm. You want, literally anything like they could supply the whole plane with gum. So I've been chewing a lot of gum recently. Do you have to have kosher gum? Yeah, most a lot of gum is kosher, but you do need to have kosher gum. There's uh there's there could be gelatin which comes from a pig. So there there would be uh potential issues with uh certain types of gum, I think. The uh my problem is I I chew, you know, I have like bad ear popping issues, so I'll always chew gum for takeoff and landing. But a lot of times I'll sleep and then I'll wake up and the gum could be anywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have enough hair left for it to be in my hair, probably. But, it, you know, it's, it could be like all over your shirt and then it's annoying. You can never find it. You're like you're looking and you know it's somewhere when you wake up. It's not in your mouth anymore. Yeah. OK, that's uh, very tricky. Uh, I, that would keep me off the gum, but not you. You need the gum. Otherwise, these, those ears are popping like the Seinfeld finale. You know, the ears are popping the whole episode. But your ears are popping, but you're sleeping. No, I'm not asleep. The, you know, the, the, pop, the popping is, is worse than the first minute, you know, minute or two and the last minute or two. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fall asleep 10 minutes in, but I'm still going to be chewing the gum. <laughs> I, I won't really need it anymore. What am I going to do? Spit it out? There's what if you choke? I, that would be a fine. I wouldn't even mind at this point. <laughs> that would be an okay way for me to go on an airplane. <laughs> Yeah, wow. I mean, that seems like such a crazy way to die. Uh, like when, you know, if you like went to like some fortune teller and you were like, how am I going to die? Like, well, there's an airplane. Like, oh, my God, the plane goes down. No, you fell asleep chewing gum. I, gu- I mean, I guess it's possible. You know how your parents always like tell you not to swallow the gum, but there's nowhere to put it when you're on an airplane. Like unless you keep the wrapper. Yeah, like, that's you, what people do. You keep the wrapper. Yeah, well. Yeah, but my kids, a lot of their gums, this is like, they don't have a wrapper. The gum, I'm, the second we start talking about my daughter's in the room, mm-hmm. I don't know if you could hear, we may have to keep this whole podcast PG. Yes. Some of it doesn't have wrappers. It comes like the, you know, if it's like a 12 pack of one of the, you know, like you take, you pop them out, that, there's no wrappers there. A lot of the gum doesn't have wrappers. You know, I, I don't think so. you're up on the whole gum game even, Rob. No, I'm not really on top of the gum game. What about the, all the tissues that you have to stuff in your pocket to keep the, uh, pickpockets at bay, like you were telling me before we came on. Yeah, I, people tell me, I, I'm curious if this is a good idea. I was just in Paris, and there's famously a lot of pickpocketers there. You know, I, I would say we had a pretty good haul. We're only almost pickpocketed three times in the 10 hours we were there. Mm-hmm. Pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- would definitely recommend everyone just go there and travel. But uh, I think the um, what I do is I put uh, like a tissue, or we, we kind of had maps which probably brings about the pickpocketers, like my daughter unfurling this giant map. Like, that's just a big sign that you're a, tur- a dumb tourist who somebody should rob. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I ha- we'll have like maps or I printed out directions to get from the airport to the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so I put like one pocket, I'll have like a couple tissues, which blocks my wallet. 
<laughs> and keys and the other pocket, my, my right pocket, I'll have like the map and that blocks my phone. So if you're just if you're like, let's say a pickpocket is walking by and you try and yank something. First, all you're seeing is white paper. And second, yeah. you know, you'd have to like rip out the white paper and then try and like yank the wallet or the phone. It's much harder. So I do think it's good defense, but I'd be curious what other people, especially if we have any French listeners uh, who are still listening after I'm insulting Paris, but the, the uh, you know, what they would have to say about my defense for pickpocketing. Well, I think that you're really going to stop the germaphobe pickpocket right in their tracks. I think that they're not coming near you with a 10 foot pole once they see all of those tissues coming out of your pockets. Yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, another good thing, like they, there's a lot of security, like we're at the Eiffel Tower, and I noticed, like, I had a bunch of like these tissues, and had like an old soda bottle that I didn't throw out, and the garbage in the in the uh, like the knapsack or the bag, you get through security in two seconds. The guy's like, "All right, not going through this." I didn't want to tell the security guard because everyone else got like a half hour pat down. I didn't want to tell him like if he went because I had a change of clothes. We were gone for a couple of days, like. He was like one inch away from like my the my like old underwear, so he you know he he uh, he really dodged a bullet by like stopping at the tissues and like the old water bottle. If you walk around looking like a homeless person, people mm. will mostly leave you alone. That's what I found. Yeah, it's like the thing on The Walking Dead where if you make yourself look like a zombie, then the other zombies don't mess with you. Right. I think. Well, I think it's the same thing with with the tourists. Like you should try not to look like a tourist. And I'm walking around. With a beard and like nobody there has facial hair, and I have uh, a New York Jets hat I'm wearing. Oh yeah, and yeah, and like I'm pretty clearly a tourist. Like there aren't a lot of you know big Jets fans walking around with, and nobody wears a baseball hat there either. They're like classy. They don't do that sort of thing, I, except for everyone who's uh, you know mugging you. Everyone else is classy. The <laughs> yeah. the um I did see on the train though when I wasn't being uh, pickpocketed. I saw a French dude wearing a Dallas Cowboys Mile Austin jersey. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, the Miles Austin jersey. I was thinking, like, wh- wh- like how, did, how does that happen? He seemed hmm. like a totally French guy. I didn't speak to him, but, like, didn't seem like some American kid wearing his, uh, his Dallas Cowboys jersey. But uh, so I wasn't the only football person on the, on the uh, Paris uh, subway. Yeah, Miles Austin, huge following in France. Maybe. Maybe he, like, uh, maybe he has, uh, like, a commercial deal there. You know, there's always some ac- actor who's like B-list mm-hmm. in one country, but like he's huge in Japan. I did see the, they had a lot of ads for some Mel Gibson movie, which must not even be coming out in the United States, <laughs> but it's like going to be the number one movie in Paris. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to comment why, you know, why they might <laughs> mel- like Mel Gibson in Paris even more now. But um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, all right. I, we're just going to get into too much trouble. Well, let's talk about something. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we've covered everything. Bloodfather. We- are you going to watch... Mel Gibson in Bloodfather. Bloodfather? <laughs> yeah. It sounds like this movie was straight to Paris, like instead of straight to DVD. This went straight to France. It sounds like one of the movies that Kramer would make up on the movie phone. Would you like to yes, see Blood- Bloodfather starring Mel Gibson? The story of a angry father who had to donate blood to uh, his kids. All right. It, the actual tagline is an ex-con reunites with his estranged wayward isn't that a, a, like uh, superfluous? You estranged and wayward. Uh, Sixteen-year-old daughter. Estranged and not be wayward. Yeah, but when you're sixteen, mm. I guess if you're like a real mess up, the kid could be estranged from you. Yeah, I mean, like you could be like not in the house. I guess that's fine. Yeah, I think that you could be the problem, right? And your wife is sort of like raising like a normal kid in your absence. 
Yeah, but I feel like the wife's not even in this movie. So he's reuniting with his estranged, wayward 16-year-old daughter to protect her from drug dealers who are trying to kill her. Mm. If only it was pickpockets, then uh, then you'd really have something here. Yeah, and uh, I'm clicking on this 16-year-old, and she's 22. So <laughs> well, maybe they filmed this movie in 2010, but, you know, they're acting up. All right. Well, we're going to be talking about the gum here today, the story of... Kramer trying to restore both the Alex theater and the emotional well-being of one Lloyd Braun. He's really got a a two-for-one project here going on. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to talking about this episode with you because it's such an unconventional episode in a lot of ways, and Mm -hmm. people have very strong opinions on it, so I'm anxious to hear yours. Yes, okay. Well, I do have strong opinions about this episode. Anything from the news that you want to touch on besides your traveling? I mean, I, I made it to the top of the Eiffel Tower. Yes, how was that? Not, it's not my thing. It, uh, it, it, my two biggest fears in life, Rob. Yes. Are uh, heights. Yes. And exercise. <laughs> yeah. And uh, not, it's not really my thing. So <laughs> I was, I no joke. Like they were like people like were like yeah, like they. Pro- I don't speak French, but I think they were asking me if I needed a doctor because mm-hmm. I was huffing and like wheezing so hard when we. My daughter kept saying like one more flight of stairs, one more flight of stairs. And I was so tired and like red and gross by the time I got up there that I just like I, I think like an old lady got up to give me a seat. I'm, I was like I was a little out of it. Yeah. But I was like I couldn't move for a half hour. Like I literally I couldn't even like reach into my pocket to get my phone out to take a picture that I was I, I never again. Yes. I really I'm really an, like a domesticated. I'm like a house cat. I should never be taken out. I'm not doing this again. I'm not going to New York and Florida and all these places in Paris. I'm I'm staying home and podcasting. From yeah. Now on. Okay, sounds good to me. That's really seems like uh, that's the life. And, you know, all the more reason for you to not go into your pockets, because then that's just like you're really just inviting uh, more pickpockets to come and see what you have in your pockets and upsetting your whole tissue system. Yeah, although really, what am I protecting? Like my phone, I'm on record. I don't even use it anymore. Like I don't answer my phone. I don't text people. Like if you email me, I'll respond. I'm on my desktop all day working. My wallet, like... I had money, but then I just went on like a six week vacation with my whole family. And they took it off three continents. Yeah, it's gone. Like the, all the money's gone. Forget it. So <laughs> they could take my wallet. What am I lose my ID, my driver's license? I don't even drive. Like, who cares? I should have just handed it to the first like beggar. My <laughs> yeah, wallet. The first pickpocket. Please <laughs> uh, make my life easier. Take everything. <laughs> all right. So yeah. we're going to talk about the gum. This is uh, Gamble and Pross back at it. The tag team writing combo uh they are back on december 14th 1995 to talk about uh the gum all right so uh keeve this episode kicks off with jerry doing stand-up talking about gum talking about how he thinks it's one of the weirdest human inventions it's not a liquid it's not a solid it's not a food what is it i know you have very strong takes on anything that is edible what's your take on gum yeah, I don't I, I, I hear what he's saying, but I, to me, gum is just like a snack. It's candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you go to the supermarket, like a lot of times the aisle will say like candy slash gum. Yeah. OK. Pretty sure it is a solid, Jerry, just to not to yeah. be, uh, you know, yeah, I would say soup is in a more ambiguous category than gum. <laughs> yeah. Soup of food or a drink or a third thing. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's like a cream soup. Yeah, I think that's really like teetering between a solid and a liquid gum. I don't think anybody is thinking gum is liquid. Uh, I'm sure there is liquid gum. Ask my daughter. She's got, they've got all kinds. <laughs> okay. 
But in terms of then he gets into it's like a stationary bike uh, for your jaw, which I think that that's a good line. But then he talks about how when you are a kid that teachers would get mad if you had gum in class as an adult. He kind of gets it because it makes everything you're saying seem sarcastic. Do you think that that is a thing as a teacher, Keeve? Um, yeah, I, I don't. It always bothered me. I feel like it calms me down. Like it's actually good. Like it's an activity that you're doing that you're like keeping calm. I wouldn't. I would never have minded if any of my students chewed gum. Like that's the worst thing they should be doing, right? But if for some reason in school, it's like literally the last thing teachers want you to do. It's such an old fashioned thing ingrained in people. I feel like because then they stick it on the desks. That's a problem that you have a lot of desks with tons of gum on it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if we could just act like human beings, we'd all be allowed to chew gum in school. Were you ever concerned that one of your students while chewing gum might fall asleep in class? I really wished my, it's like my, my, like the troublemaker students, I would always wish they would fall asleep. <laughs> like the bet, my, the best day would be like, Hey, like they need some kid to like help out with some project or something. I, you send them your worst student, your biggest troublemaker. And they're out of the class for a day where you send, them, you know, another trick I would do is I'd like if there was a kid who was like really causing problems, I'd send him on like an aimless like mission to no man's land, uh, you know, that would take 15 minutes just to like get him out of the, the room. Top of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, he yeah, exactly. He's happy because he gets you know, he doesn't have to be in class, which is his least favorite thing in the world. And, you know, I'm happy because I could teach for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. OK, that's a win win. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, don't take teaching advice from me, all you aspiring educators out there. Remember, there's a reason I'm not a teacher anymore, probably. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I mean, the reason is the school closed down, but it's possible the school closed down because of my terrible teaching methods. <laughs> right, it didn't help. It didn't help the case. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, so we start off with Jerry and George, and they are in Monks, and we see George pointing to someone that we've seen quite a bit, but you and I haven't talked much about, Ruthie Cohen, the woman who works at the cash register in Monks. I think we've talked about her only in the sense of when we talk about like episode counts of people. Yes. And other than the core four, she is like fifth on the leaderboard. Yeah, it's interesting because when the show was on and it was like pre-internet or very early internet, like minutia fact like that was not known. Mm -hmm. So when we were watching the show until this episode, unless you were a really eagle-eyed viewer, you would not have known who Ruthie Cohen is at all. Yes. But here she is. Now in Seinfeld lore, she is very, you know, even more so than this episode, she's remembered, like you said, as the person who's in the fifth most episodes behind the core four. Right. And like Jerry Seinfeld, she is appearing in the episode as herself. I mean, that's a that's a debate for another time, but she's got the same name. She's playing a fictionalized version of herself. Right. I mean, right, right. Is Jerry Jerry? I don't think so. I think we've established that Jerry Seinfeld the actor is not Jerry Seinfeld, the person. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think Larry David, the actor, is much more Larry David, the person on Curb. Like, Larry, the person on Curb, created Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Like, that's his, like, that's why he's rich. You know, he created Seinfeld, and yeah. he has a lot of money. But Ruthie um, Cohen isn't a cashier at a no. <laughs> coffee shop So in she's New not York. playing herself. She's playing... A person who has the same name as her. And by the way, she might be a cashier now. Who knows? <laughs> I, uh, although you have to wonder, she's not really credited. I'd be very, you know, we talk about residuals a lot, like how much money, like the writers or whoever pulling in for these episodes, they air a hundred times a day. I'd be curious if Ruthie Cohn is getting some bank for this. Well, hold on. Before we go any further, I am curious that uh, no fun facts about Ruthie Cohen, right? 
You know, I didn't even check because she's such a like, uh, you know, she's ubiquitous. She she's hasn't crossed over to the alternate side yet, has she? But I, I mean, she was born in 1930, so this should brace you. But <laughs> she did leave us in 2008. Oh, OK. Well, uh, OK. So this one, we will dedicate this podcast in loving memory to Ruthie Cohen. Sure. OK. So very uh, sad, actually. We're, we're coming up right right around the uh, anniversary of uh, the uh, August twenty third, two thousand eight. Was uh, that was uh, the sad day that Ruthie Cohen passed? Yeah, R.I.P. Ruthie. I, I also uh, she was in an episode of Full House, oh. which uh, I hear in the background right now because my irresponsible daughter did not close the door when she uh, decided to watch Full House outside my room. Yeah, I mean, did she ever do anything else? I mean, she's like an extra in Seinfeld for nine years. And then, very little. She was she did a spot on Golden Girls, but very, you know, she was let's say she was loyal to Seinfeld. OK, good. Yeah. So <laughs> here she is. Now, do you find it plausible that Jerry knows not just her first name, but also her last name? It is weird, right? Like I, you do see in real life there's and it, you see it more in TV, like these really fraternal or close like waitress, uh, you know, person relationships or like. You know, within the service industry on TV, it's always like, of course, I know everyone who works at the local local Target or whatever. Whereas in real life, like how many unless it's like a story you really frequent, you might know the guy's name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I I think knowing the last name, like the uh, there's a hallmark uh, near my house and my parents, I would say, like the guy's been there for like 30 years. And my parents like are legitimately friends with him. Like he was invited to my bar mitzvah, Mm -hmm. but I don't know his last name. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I guess they needed it for the invitation, probably. Like, they might know it. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? Like, to know the last name, that's a big deal. So I, I get your point. Yeah, unless they, like, went to school with one of her sons or something like that. It seems weird they would know her last name. But, okay, we'll just go with that. Jerry knows her name. George can't believe it. He doesn't even seem to know her first name. George says, I don't think I've ever spoken to her, which seems almost as implausible as Jerry knowing her first and last name. How has George... Never spoken to the cashier. I don't even think that's canon. Well, what if the, you know, this is a waiter waitress business. So the cashier might be there for for people who are taking out or picking up. But she's probably not there for the people who are getting table service, right? Because the waitress takes care of that. So maybe George has just never ordered monks to go. Mm -hmm. Does anybody order monks to go? Sure. You come in, you say, hey, can I get tuna on toast? And uh, you leave. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. This seems uh, just as weird. What is this? Like the 120th episode of Seinfeld? George has never had any reason to speak to the cashier in the coffee shop that he's in twice a day? I think he's probably speaking on behalf, on behalf of like the fans who don't know who she is. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like to some people, oh, yeah, she's the lady who's in the background every single episode practically. And to some, it's like, oh, I've never seen her before. I, we, you know, like you said, we never talk about her. I hardly have noticed her in the last 120. By the way, this is 120. We're two thirds of the way done. Oh, wow. Look at us. This is passing. I don't know. I don't know what you were like as a student, but I was in high school, you know, biology class. I would think like two thirds, 66. That's all I need. That's my goal. Yeah. So we could stop is what you're saying. And we would have a passing grade on. We would have passed. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right. So, yeah. So after today, uh, two thirds of the way home. So here comes Kramer. And he has a handful of flyers and he's talking about how he is trying to bring back the Alex Theater. And uh, Jerry knows about exactly what it is. He says that stinky old movie house. But yes, Kramer, not only does he want to work at Movie Phone, 
He also wants to restore classic movie theaters. Yeah, and even though this is clearly a hobby of him and Kramer is very movie-obsessed, this is something that comes and goes without a natural conclusion in this episode, right? Like, we don't know what happens to the Alex Theater. It's never brought up again. You make a very good point. It does completely come out of nowhere. What is Kramer's relationship with the Alex Theater and how has he somehow... I don't know. Is, is he own the Alex Theater? What is his relationship so. to this theater? Maybe we'll figure it out as we go. But and I, some people had questions or, or, or maybe ideas about that when we get to the mailbag. But it's not clear from the episode. Yeah. He's sort of just like the complete representative of this theater where he's like, you know, wears a suit, smokes a pipe, you know, is bossing people around. Uh, seems to have a lot of pull at the Alex Theater all of a sudden. Yeah, and he does seem to be in charge. Maybe like the guy who's really in charge went away for a week and Kramer's pretending to be in charge, mm-hmm. you know, movie phone style. Yeah. But when he comes in and starts talking about it, like he gives them a piece of paper and he starts talking about the Alex, uh, the, the Alex Theater, but he doesn't say anything about, hey, I'm the manager now. I own a piece of it with Bob Sacamano, who's like, you know, the silent partner. And I'm, I'm you know, there, there's nothing about that. Yeah. Okay. So Kramer is uh, working on this, and he's also going to get Jeffrey Har Harwood, uh, that he was the assistant wardrobe man on Spartacus, which we will then see later on in his apartment, is like a museum of all uh, costumes of different things. And he is going to be speaking about Spartacus. Uh, George wants to know, why would I spend $7 on a movie I could watch on TV for free? What do you think about the last name Har Harwood? Uh, it seems like it probably was very funny uh, in the script. I don't know how, if it's cracking me up on the show, but I feel like that that's something that the writers were really, uh, they were having a few har har hars about. Very fitting for this episode, the actor's name is or was Eric Christmas. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and this is a Christmas episode, but it's a very shoehorned Christmas episode. Yes. It's just sort of like there's a couple of mentions here and there that it's Christmas, but Seinfeld did not feel like doing a Christmas episode here. No, they just like stuck up a few like Hanukkah menorahs and like Christmas trees in the background of scenes. That's basically all they did. Yeah, it's December 14th, 1995. We're just talking about how it's Christmas, but really nothing Christmas related in the episode other than a few mentions of that it's Christmas time. Yeah, I think we talked last year about how there are about, you know, there is a bunch of Christmassy episodes, but then some years they just pass on it. Yeah. I wonder if that's sort of like that NBC says that they have to do a Christmas episode so that they can promote it as the holiday-themed Seinfeld episode, and that sort of like comes down from the network. Of, oh, yeah, and you get the jingle like this Thursday on NBC, and you have like the jingle in the background, right? Yeah, sort of like it's all of the holiday shows. You know, Russ and Rachel are going to buy a tree. Right. And, uh, you know, Caroline is in the city with the tree. So, yeah, I think you're right. All right. So also we find out that Kramer is working with Lloyd Braun. And interesting, I think, Keith, that we bring back Lloyd Braun here in this episode. Were you dying to see a return of Lloyd Braun? Well, it's crazy that they bring back Lloyd Braun. Hey, hey, there's nothing crazy that they (laughs) wanted to bring back Lloyd Braun. He just happens to be. There's nothing there's nothing uh, that would be. Uh, unsane about that. Well, I'm seeing double. <laughs> yes. Because this is a different Lloyd Braun than the last Lloyd Braun. It's a yeah. different actor. Okay. It makes no sense. What, once it's... Fu- Listen, if you need to recast someone who's like being in a couple bit parts, it's one thing. Like, he's been in, he's been in the, an episode once. You could very easily 
have this, you know, semi-figment of George's imagination, according to Tina or Dina or whatever her name is. Dina. Uh, just be a standard, like a random person on the street who, you know, who's worried that he's crazy. That's Kramer's friend. Why do you have to bring back a character for a second stint if you couldn't get the original actor or you didn't like the original actor? Yeah, it really is interesting. Of course, this is the first, the second of three Lloyd Braun appearances, right? Does Lloyd Braun show up for the finale? Uh, I think, is he deleted in the finale? Okay. Anyway. But but yeah. it's a different actor, and he's it's not even like he's a good actor. <laughs> yeah, this guy, the second Lloyd Braun is uh, super creepy. I don't know what goes on with Lloyd Braun at the institution. I mean, if, right. My problem, and I was wondering this the whole episode, like, are they going for creepy? I don't know. I think that they're definitely going for a bit off. And, of course, we'll see him again in, uh, is it the Serenity now? Is that the name of the yeah, episode? Ser- yeah, yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's the computer salesman with, uh, <laughs> with George. He's not, they di- he did not make the finale. Neither Lloyd Braun makes the finale. Okay. And so the first Lloyd Braun, of course, then he was uh, dating Elaine. And as we get the mention here that he's the person that Elaine talks to about the name tags, uh, and that sort of like gets him sort of the laughing stock of the Dinkins campaign, the ill-fated Dinkins campaign. And then uh, here he is back again. But I think they needed to have a boyfriend that Elaine has seen before because there there is a big part of that storyline where he is. Elaine doesn't want to you know reignite those flames with Lloyd Braun. Yeah, but it could. I mean, there's so there's so many ways you could easily have it that Elaine is just flirting with this guy who maybe they met once before. To me, it's like, why bring back... It just messes with the canon of a show. Why bring back an actor, uh, you know, or a character with a different actor? No one remembered it, I'm sure, but it's just a little weird to me. Yeah, I think that in your mind's eye, I think that in 1995, you could just get away with this of like, oh, this is the same guy as then, you know, maybe unless you saw that episode in syndication that night, you weren't going to be able to look up the old Lloyd Braun and compare him to the new Lloyd Braun, or you'd have to like record it on VHS and then watch them back to back. So I think you could sort of get away with this sort of thing a lot easier. But that's our answer to every question, which is basically like they didn't anticipate or care that like a bunch of nerds would be talking about the show 25 years later. Yeah, I mean, but that is the answer to the question. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> right. If you asked, right, again, if you asked Jerry... He'd say, who the hell cares? I don't even remember. Yeah. Like, if you even said, if you said, why are there two Lloyd Brauns? He might not even remember. <laughs> and Lloyd Braun ends up, the, the real life Lloyd Braun, you know, he's named after a friend of Larry David, who then goes on to uh, do a bunch of things, including run ABC. And I believe that he was sort of like the driving force behind Lost getting made yes. at ABC. Yeah, he's the vo- he, he is the voice that says previously on Lost. Yes. That's what he's best known for. I'm sure we touched on this the last time we talked about Lloyd Braun. Probably. And in the Serenity Now, uh, a year from now, we will forget and talk about it again. Yes, of course. Great. All right. So they're trying to use Lloyd Braun's connections after he's been out of the mental institution that he is trying to uh, get landmark status for the Alex Theater. Yeah, that's like a big thing in New York. You have some old dump and you try and get landmark status so nobody can knock it down. Okay. Why are we trying to not have the Alex Theater knocked down? You know, these real estate developers are always coming in and trying to knock knock stuff down and build condos on it or something. Or a Jamba Juice. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just saying words. I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So Kramer has taken Lloyd Braun under his wing and here he comes here comes Lloyd Braun and 
he's trying to pawn off this gum, this Chinese gum onto people in the episode. The episode is named The Gum. Does the gum subplot do enough for you that it warrants having the episode named after it? Uh, you know, I didn't think a lot of times we've been talking about this a lot recently. In terms of the name of the movie, what do you well, what do you beat it? Beat the gum. What do you like better than the gum? Uh, even the Alex. I don't know. I don't know about the Alex. Is that <laughs> like is there a person Alex? Is that a boy or a girl? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Again, it's such a here's so here's the thing. And I mentioned this about the gum like randomly a year ago also that this is the jokiest episode of the whole series. There's very little plot, but not like the first season where there's also very little like dialogue or action. It's just a lot of setups for big jokes mm-hmm. that sometimes come out of nowhere. So there aren't a lot, you know, where, where, you know, other episodes we come up with like five, six solid names that would make sense. I mean, I guess the button, the button is probably better than the gum, right? It's a little bit better, but still. It, yeah. The hose? What about the hose? <laughs> I don't know. The hose does come up a bunch of times. Yeah. I hear you on that. And I feel like that there is a lot of fun to be had in this episode, but I, I come away from this episode saying, like, uh, this is all, like, much ado about nothing. Ultimately, who cares if Lloyd Braun goes back to the crazy house? I, I just feel like, who cares if George's neighbor thinks he's crazy or anything like that? I feel like there's just so much of, oh, I don't want that person to think that I'm not being nice to them, or I don't want that person to think that I'm crazy, or it's just so much of just perception of who's crazy or who's being mean. Oh, you're going to get raked in the comments over this one. People love the gum, Rob. That's it's fu- funny. Listen, we're talking about sitcoms. Yes. Is the plot in this episode flimsy? Of course. Uh, are there real stakes? There's zero stakes. There's no stakes But there's a whatsoever. lot of really, there's no stakes. But you know what there is? There's a lot of laughs. There's some real big, like, set piece jokes that you don't see in every episode. They really go, you know, pretty far. And there's, uh, like, four or five, like, serious laugh out loud moments. So I hope you get flayed in the comments over this, Rob. I'm saying that the jokes are fine. I think this is a funny episode, but I just am coming away from this episode. Like if ultimately Lloyd Braun thinks Elaine is trying to hit on him. I mean, I don't know necessarily what that's doing for me from in terms of a story. Okay, but this isn't the leftovers. This is Seinfeld. You know, we could just get by on. uh... On some on some funny gags, you know, Jerry ends up losing a hundred dollars on Chinese gum by the end of the episode. I mean, that's really there's nothing to sink your teeth into in terms of the plot here in this episode. And I do like it. I think that when the jokes and the plot also come together, it's just like a, a whole bunch of stuff happens. Luckily, the stuff that happens is funny, but in terms of the plot, I think that this is one of the weaker plots here that we've talked about recently. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we'll get into more, more and more of that. Of hopefully, people are like, "Well, please don't." But we'll touch on it as it comes up. So he wants everybody to have gum, and Kramer is very concerned about the fragile Lloyd Braun. I guess if he goes off into some sort of a relapse, then he won't be able to get landmark status for the Alex. So he's like, "Of course, oh, Jerry likes gum. Everybody likes gum. George won't try." The gum. What, what does George have against the gum from Lloyd Braun? I first of all, he's not a gum guy. He's like you. He's anti gum. Yeah, and I, I don't. He's just George isn't like George can be a come with guy, but he doesn't like being suckered into doing stupid things. So if this guy he doesn't care about is offering him gum, he's not going to say yes. By the way, I am not totally anti gum. I'm anti bubble gum. 
what does that mean? What kind of gum are you chewing? I'll have like, you know, a dentine ice or something like that. Some sort of like okay. a mint flavor gum, some sort of a palate cleanser. Sure, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm on for that. But, you know, gum is candy. No, no, thank you. Yeah, listen, Check, it's going to be back in your if it's not already, it'll be back in your house soon. And, and you're going to have to deal with it. Uh, <laughs> please, God forbid. God forbid. That's gross. OK, so anyway, he doesn't want any of this gum. Uh, but Jerry has a piece and Lloyd Braun can actually locate. He's like knows like a gum wholesaler and he can get plenty of gum for Jerry. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about flimsy because, like, there's really nothing to this. He keeps asking him. Jerry says no. And then somehow he, like, just ends up with the car with him and they buy the the, the Chinese gum when he has the bad glasses. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, listen, there's all these all these pay off in some way. If it's not storyline, it's at least comedic. Yeah. I mean, to the point where Jerry is wearing fake glasses and getting in the car and going with Lloyd Braun and going to the gum store for what? Why doesn't Jerry just tell this guy at some point, like, hey, you know, they, I'm busy today. I, I can't, you know, sit here and patronize Lloyd Braun the whole day. Or like what what the Jerry I know would do at a certain point is he'd get frustrated and he'd say, you know what? I never wore glasses and you are crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That never happens in the episode. And then we never see Lloyd Braun, you know, burn down the Alex Theater because Jerry set him off. It's just like, uh, you know, nothing really ever happens. That's not a bad ending. And then we'd have a reason why we never hear about the Alex again. (laughs) Yes, that would be good. All right. So back in Jerry's apartment, George is talking about how he thinks that Ruthie Cohen shorted him. And he feels like that he gave her a 20 and she gave him back change for a 10. That old trick. You ever get shorted? (laughs) I never got shorted. But I was one time when I was a cashier in the card store at my first job, some guy came in and tried to say that I shorted him. But I was really confident that I didn't. Yeah, the the um, I took a cab once and I, I the next day I went to like the same cab stand and a guy came running over to me and said, hey, you, you paid me yesterday with a 20 that was like ripped in half and you give me half a 20 or something insane like that. And I like ran away from him. But. So that guy claimed I shorted him, but I, I can't imagine I gave him half a dollar bill. <laughs> like you gave him actual ripped in half dollar bill? Like it was like I gave him, let's say it was like a 10, maybe it wasn't a 20, but let's say it was like two 10s, but one of them was like half a half a bill. Like mm-hmm. literally the other half. I, I don't know. Like it, we didn't have like a long discussion over it. I just walked away from him and he didn't follow me, which was maybe just like a scam. He pulls on every dumb looking person <laughs> who has tissues coming out of their pockets. So they, they don't yeah. get mugged. And they couldn't pick. Well, that was, you. that was the, uh, that was like the rough area of Mineola. I wasn't super worried about getting pickpocketed there. So back in Jerry's apartment, we see then Elaine coming in that they tell her about Lloyd Braun's breakdown. She wonders if she did it. Should she drive Lloyd Braun crazy after their breakup? I mean, how long did they date for? Listen, I know people who could date and then five years later, they're, you know, still obsessed with the person. So if, you know, if, if you think someone's the one that got away, you'll never let it go. Yeah. Jerry tries to say, like, yeah, I know when we broke up that I was babbling incoherently for months. And so George takes some pleasure in the breakdown of Lloyd Braun because his whole life, his mother was saying, why can't you be more like that Lloyd Braun? Yeah, I, I to me. Uh, like Lloyd Braun was in the first in his first episode, the original Lloyd Braun was idealized, right? Like by Estelle, 
Mm-hmm. And now he's this, like, sh- you know, schlubby loser. Like, just make it a different actor. I don't get it. This <laughs> yeah. guy could never have been cool. Uh, the first Lloyd Braun, that he is sort of like a, uh, almost like a, um, you know, a poor man's Rob Lowe. And this guy is like uh, some sort of like George McFly that they got to play the second Lloyd Braun. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, not not necessarily a, a one for one on the Lloyd Braun. But so George is taking so much pleasure in this. And he's even going to his parents' house to deliver Christmas presents to them. And uh, which gives him an excuse to go back to the old neighborhood. Keeve, do you find this odd that George is delivering Christmas presents to his parents' house and his parents are on vacation? I, it, where are they? Like, yeah, it, it is a little strange. And, like, the idea of, like, George going over there, yeah, and, like, bring presents and it's two weeks before Christmas, it's a little strange. <laughs> it is very strange. But we see George on the street and uh, we are introduced to Pop. And Pop wants to work on George's car it does seem strange to me that George is just letting Pop, even if he used to have some sort of body shop, just go to start working on his car. But then uh, there he goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, that must have ended very poorly, the uh, the Pop body shop. Yeah, you would think so. Well, it turns out that Pop had some sort of dementia. And so uh, that's what we're going to find out eventually from Dina, who is Pop's daughter. And George, very happy to tell Dina, hey, remember Lloyd Braun? That we all went to school with. Well, he went crazy. Yeah, I, George is so happy to like talk trash about this Lloyd Braun. <laughs> yeah, no, very happy to be the bearer of bad news always, George Costanza. All right, so back at the Alex Theater, here's Kramer giving Jerry and Elaine a tour. And uh, they're walking around and Kramer is showing off everything. And so he says, okay, here comes Lloyd Braun. And Elaine is like, I didn't know Lloyd Braun was going to be here, but uh, here he is. And so Elaine has to tell Lloyd Braun that Jerry forgot his glasses. They can't sit in their special seats. So Elaine and Jerry have to sit in the front row. Uh, Yeah. Why are they sitting in the front row? Because Jerry doesn't have his glasses. And that's why he can't see the screen, I guess, if they're not sitting in the front row. Right. But why? But like, why? Oh, I I see. Okay, I'm dumb. I got it. And I'm, so, no, but okay, according to that, I hear, I hear, I hear. Okay, that's that's their story. And Lloyd Braun gets like very defensive and is like, hey, am I crazy or does Jerry not wear glasses? Now, how many times, I guess, does did when did George and Jerry become friends in college? So it's not like Jerry is no, high a, school. We've seen flashbacks of them in high school with the with the gym teacher. Okay, so did does Lloyd Braun know Jerry from a young age also? I mean, he knows George from the neighborhood, right? You have to assume if you have like a really good friend, you generally will at least peripherally know their friends from when you like from just hanging out at their house. Although I could imagine that the Jerry George duo was mostly hanging out at the Seinfelds, not at the Costanzas. Okay. So what I'm asking is how can Lloyd Braun ask with so much confidence about Jerry's glasses. Does he know Jerry so well to know the fact that Jerry Seinfeld does not walk around with glasses on? Some people aren't just like perceptive. Like if my wife, who's never worn glasses in her life, started wearing glasses for a few weeks and convinced me that she's always wore them, like I would never even, I probably wouldn't even know. I mean, couldn't they say to Lloyd Braun like, oh, I had contact lenses, but I lost them. So now I have to wear my glasses. Yeah, that's better. Just do the contact lens thing. That always works. Yeah. 
But again, then we don't have an episode and we don't have $100 of Chinese gum if we did that. Okay. So uh, Jerry and Elaine are sitting in the front row. They're eating all of the popcorn and uh, very uncomfortable craning of the neck to watch Spartacus there in the front row. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, this looks pretty comfortable. Like they are almost in a bed. This is they're lying down. This is almost before their time. Now you could really get theaters where you're lying down. Yes. Yes. And even if you don't have your glasses, you can sit in the front row. All right. So George is back with Dina, and so uh, she's talking with him about hey, what happened to Pop and how he sort of got dementia. And uh, George realizes that Pop doesn't know what he's doing, and he's just going uh, to town on his car. Uh, we see Pop just like with a wrench, just like hammering stuff under the hood in the John Voight LeBaron. Yeah, this is a funny scene. I like I like the realization where he's just like smashing stuff in the car. Yeah. And I like that we brought back the John Voight LeBaron here. Of course, this is a Gamel and Pross episode. I don't know whether it was Gamel or Pross that they actually did own the John Voight LeBaron. One of them, uh, I believe, had the car had a car catch on fire. Yes. Either Gamble or Pross. So that also comes. They have a lot of car-related uh, humor. But to, didn't uh, one of the them show. actually have the John Voight car? Uh, yeah, my, it's their episode. So I think it must have been Gamble or Pross. Who knows who's who? <laughs> yeah, but I think that it actually happened to uh, one of them. So basically, they're just like uh, sort of uh, co-opting everything that happened uh, in their real life into these uh, Seinfeld episodes, which I guess is probably par for the course. Yes. Okay. So uh, that George is very upset about what happened with uh, Pop and uh, the LeBaron and more on that to come. Uh, we see Jerry and Elaine back at the Alex Theater wolfing down popcorn and Elaine ends up dropping this button off of her shirt, which we find out later is some sort of antique button. Keeve, is this too much for you? Is this a bridge too far of not only does Elaine lose a button on her shirt, but it's some sort of antique heirloom button? Uh, if it was like me or you, I'd say yes, but she works for like a big fashion company. Like she should, you know, care about her clothes and have stupid things like antique buttons. Right. But I would get some sort of like antique pin, but a shirt with an antique button. With just one button, you mean? Why isn't it an antique shirt? How do you have an antique button on a shirt? Listen, the button related humor on Seinfeld literally opens and closes the series. (laughs) So I (laughs) feel like it's really within... The, you know, the the uh, canon of Seinfeld to have like weird button things. I, OK, I'm giving them a pass. All right. They get a pass on it. Uh, we see George driving the LeBaron around and it's making a lot of noise. Uh, George is screaming pop pop like magnitude. Sure. Like what's magnitude? Uh, you're not a community guy. I've seen a few episodes. Yeah. There's a character on community that uh, that was his catchphrase. Pop pop. Oh, now I got to go rewatch the whole series. Yeah. I'll check out all six seasons in the movie. I think it's all available on Hulu, I think, at this point, just like Seinfeld. The hop, um, skip, and a jump from Seinfeld to community. You know, Hulu's getting rid of their uh, their free service, I read. Yeah. Oh, my God. They're, okay. they're going to all pay. Yeah. I am already a Hulu payer. Look at you, Mr. <laughs> B- Listen, if Hulu had any, you know, business sense at all, then, you know, we would be, they would have ads on every one of these episodes and. Clearly, they don't know what's going on. So, yeah, don't pay them by month. Don't pay them by year because that that might not last a long time. (laughs) Yeah, I am a Hulu subscriber. And then every now and then I say, boy, I don't think I watched anything on Hulu this month. I think I got ripped off. Yeah, that's listen, you're hoarding just Internet like passwords and stuff. (laughs) 
Yeah. I feel like Netflix, there's not a month that goes by I didn't watch something on Netflix. But no, I feel- they, every month they have a show. Boy, they were really pushing that the Get Down show in, in Paris. There was ads everywhere. Yeah. Have you watched it? No. I, okay. I haven't even watched uh, uh, Stranger Things yet or, or uh, uh, what else is on there. There's a lot of things that are ahead of the Get Down. Yeah. Why, you hear good things about the Get Down? Uh, no, I've just seen a lot of articles about it. I haven't yeah. really uh, followed big adver- it. A big marketing budget. I don't, I don't know about how, how good the show actually is, though. Yeah. I don't want to knock Hulu uh, too badly, but there are times where I feel like it's good for, like, when they have, like, a... They, they might have shows that are currently airing on TV where Netflix, you have to wait for the whole season to be up. So, I think... Yeah, they have Hulu- the whole back catalog of Survivor. There are some things, but listen, if they come around to their senses, every episode here, it'll probably be harder now that I'm bashing them, but... They should be advertising on, on, on this show. Yeah. Well, you're presuming they're going to be listening to the gum recap of uh, episode number 120. I mean, not the CEO, but like probably like the CFO. 40 minutes CM, in. One of them. <laughs> we didn't lose them on the uh, hot takes about the uh, pickpocketers. Yeah. And the anti-France stuff. I'm not sure they're going to be up for that. Yeah. All right. So now we see uh, Jerry and Kramer uh, coming out of the movie. Uh, they're talking and uh, Lloyd Braun is asking about the glasses and uh, Jerry just very quick. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, wants to know about the gum. And here comes Elaine. And now she is walking through and her shirt is uh, very open and uh, she is uh, looking particularly busty. Yeah, and my daughter's not in the room, so you okay. you know you we don't have to be super. Well, how, how far do you want me to take it? Nobody wants. Oh no, to no, no. I was just I was just letting you know because before I told you that you know we had to go PG, but now we could go full PG thirteen because I hear <laughs> Fuller House on in the background. Okay, so yeah, Elaine uh, is uh, showing a lot of cleavage at this point. Yeah, um, the I, I would always feel like if I was a writer, I would always feel guilty doing this because then I would think like. She would just be like, oh, he just wanted me to, you know, like unbutton a few buttons. You right. feel like a little pervy, you know? So you think that maybe Julie Louis-Dreyfus felt like that Gamel and Pross uh, just wanted to uh, try to see her as some sort of like an object of uh, their sure. desire? She's not both of them, probably just Pross. <laughs> just one of them. <laughs> but I feel them. like, dude, I, I'm, there's got to be like, I'm sure like writers in like history have written in some sort of like sex scene or something. Just because they like wanted an act, like, like, like the actress, like, ooh, she should take her clothes off. Some like creepy guy. Yeah, certainly. I'm sure that that has happened. But I think that on this sort of a scale, I don't think that that's uh, what's going on here. No, not on a from. network sitcom. I mean, you're pretty limited with what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And Elaine also, because of having to sit so close to the movie theater screen, she's sort of like, like craning her neck around to try to get loose. Uh, Lloyd Braun uh, thinking that she is trying to seduce him. Yeah, I mean, he's she's not really like even paying attention to him. But I guess if you're crazy, you could be a narcissist, and that's what he thinks. Yeah. All right. So now we see Elaine walking down the street with her blouse still open. Everybody is sort of paying a lot of attention to her. Uh, we see the florist who is spraying the sidewalk with a hose. Uh, we'll see him a couple of times. Uh, Elaine goes to a police officer and says, "Hey, what's with that guy always using his hose? He's wasting water. Couldn't he just use a broom?" Uh, the cop says, lady, you sold me, and then goes ahead and tries to uh, shut down the florist with the hose. Uh, yeah, and obviously it works because she has a button undone. Yes, yes. Apparently you can get whatever you want 
Uh, whatever you, you want. Whatever you need. <laughs> Is there a guy version of that? Uh, I think that you take a bunch of tissues and stuff them in your <laughs> pants. And then I think then pretty much. You uh, walk over to a female cop? I don't think that's happening. <laughs> no, that doesn't work. Okay. Uh, so anyway, we get back to Kramer in Jerry's apartment and Kramer now is handing Jerry glasses so that Jerry can wear glasses to fool Lloyd Braun into thinking that they didn't lie to him on purpose. Yeah. You know, a lot going a lot just to like, you know, rectify this one, uh, lie. Right. I do think that Jerry is out of character here in the links that he's willing to go to humor Lloyd Braun. Uh, yeah, right. Why does Jerry care about Lloyd Braun's mental status or the relationship between Kramer and Lloyd? I guess is the question. Yeah. Kramer says, oh, so he'll just think that you were not being nice to him. Um, yeah, but I, who, why does but like that's not something Jerry's been concerned with before. No, especially not in the case of Lloyd Braun. All right. So we go back to Monk's. George goes to confront Ruthie Cohen and he says to her, hey, I gave you a $20 bill. Because I know that I was doodling on the uh, $20 bill on Andrew Jackson. And that is because, right, he's on the 20, right? Uh, Andrew Jackson, he was on the 20. Yeah, now well, it's the Tubman's, baby. Well, yeah, I don't think they got those out yet. But at, at the time Oh, of I got some early editions. I, listen, you're not a VIP. I <laughs> yeah. got, I'm, I'm throwing Tubman's around in the supermarket. Like, Well, did you have some of those uh, Tubman's sticking out? That's why the pickpockets were coming after Probably. You? I used to have them. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that's what they wanted. They wanted the early edition Tubman's in, in France. That's why. Although I did. I am anal enough that like every time I would like get on a, the problem is, like, what do you do? You think someone pickpocketed you. You don't want to, like, take your wallet out on the train, start flashing around. I had a lot of money. You know, I'm rich. I had all <laughs> this money in my... I was, you know, before before in my wallet. So I got, like, you know... And you got the euros, and you got the dollars, and you're wondering, like... So but when do you do? You're just sitting there like an idiot for the rest of the day. Like, what's the appropriate time to go check your wallet and see if you actually were pickpocketed? Mm, could you go in like some sort of like bathroom stall do it there i'm not going to some public bathroom stall in france are you joking me <laughs> we already know my status on public bathrooms you I can't even go, go to the there to see if you got uh, your money stolen what am i there's porta potties at the eiffel tower i'm not going dropping my wallet in a porta potty okay you don't have to are drop you crazy it. yeah and well listen i'm a klutz i'm gonna drop it and th- i mean please and also i was there for 12 hours i didn't use the bathroom once i didn't have to Mm-hmm. I have an iron stomach, and my body does not, like, I know. If I'm going to be out in gross public bathrooms, it's not happening. <laughs> All right. So George <laughs> is trying to talk to Ruthie Cohen and says, can you open up the cash register? I gave you a 20. Again, I mean, this is like the next day, right? I mean, she still has the money in the cash yeah, register I, from the day before. It's not explained why, why, like, it would be definitively answered by this cash register. Like, how few, maybe that's why he's never spoken to Ruthie before, because no one actually uses the cashier. Maybe you're right. Nobody orders to go or, or picks up like takeout from monks because this cat there's like there's four dollar bills in this giant restaurants in, in manhattan's uh cash register and th- there's no way that she could just say well even if i had the money it's gone now because it's a different day yeah well she tells him i'm not opening the cash register unless you buy something so now he has to buy a pack of gum so i mean if he got change back from a 10 he's only potentially getting back a total of $10. Now he has to buy a pack of gum. I mean, is the gum a quarter? I mean, is that how cheap the gum is at this point? Yeah. Oh, the gum is a quarter then for sure. Okay. It's 25 right. cents. So now he's down to potentially nine seventy-five. 
And so as he's buying the pack of gum so Ruthie can open the register, here comes Lloyd Braun and says, hey, I thought you didn't chew gum. And again, no mention of, you know, Lloyd Braun, I didn't want your uh, Chinese ginseng gum from the, you know, I just wanted a pack of, uh, you know, juicy fruit or some sort of a mint gum, uh, dentine, because I just ate. Yeah, it doesn't come up. It doesn't come up. All right. And so then, she, like, Ruthie Cohen hands George, like, all of the $20 bills in the register. Oh, yeah, she's Here, getting fired. Like, it's yeah. amazing. We, this is not her final episode, Ruthie Cohen. <laughs> it's a good thing that he's not a pickpocket. Yeah, it's it, like she's not allowed to open the cash register unless you make a purchase. But once she opens it, it's party time for whoever's there. Yeah, here you go, lunatic. Uh, feel free to go through all my $20 bills and inspect them. And it's not like they're friends because George just said he's never met her before. He didn't know she existed. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, uh, Lloyd, Braun, Lloyd Braun was eating in the coffee shop and then he needs to pay? Um, well, like, yeah, why is Lloyd there? No, hey, what is he buying? It doesn't make sense. He's just behind him in line. I, I thought that Lloyd a- Braun just shows up where he's like, he, I look like that he just walked in the coffee shop. I didn't know he was eating there and he needs to pay. And hold on. How come yeah, you have to pay through the cashier? Every other time we've seen somebody pay, they paid the waitress. Yeah, but he's crazy. He doesn't do the right thing. That's what it is. <laughs> Nobody in the history of the show has ever paid the cashier. <laughs> right. Am I crazy or do you usually pay the cashier in this restaurant? That's what Lloyd said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. Everybody pays the cashier, don't they, George? Okay. All right. Uh, so uh, George says, okay, fine. He doesn't forget about this. So he goes and, and runs away. All right. So we go to Jerry's apartment. He's reading a newspaper. He pulls the newspaper down to reveal Kramer and Lloyd Braun. And Jerry, again, going through this whole dog and pony show for Lloyd Braun about how he wears glasses. Uh, yeah, again, way so much effort for such a small thing. But yeah. listen, that's sometimes we do that on Seinfeld. We go a I, long way to keep up a lie. Yeah, I do like how Kramer is sort of like forcing the gum on everybody. And uh, he says, uh, so let's all enjoy a chew. And then he says, uh, just three buddies sitting around chewing gum. <laughs> 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 and so... Uh, Lloyd Braun is going to uh, keep trying to push the gum uh, on Jerry with uh, Kramer's backing. And uh, Kramer says that Lloyd thinks he can get more of the gum. And uh, Jerry, again, like complete pandering, like, well, Lloyd's a very industrious fellow. I'm sure he can accomplish anything he wants to if he sets his mind to it. Yeah, he really babies Lloyd. <laughs> they really do. And so... How did that, this guy ever get to the top of City Hall? I, well, uh... I don't know. I don't know about the, uh, you know, what the Dinkins cabinet looked like. Yeah, really. Dinkins must have surrounded himself with a bunch of idiots. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Dave Dinkins, he's uh, not on the alternate side, right? I don't think so. I feel I like, I, I, you know, I, I feel like he's still, you don't hear. He's definitely uh, on the alternate side of like the media landscape. No, he's still alive. Yes, but you certainly good. don't hear much about him. He's okay. turning 90 next summer. Wow. Look at David Dinkins. Yes. Look at him go. So uh, good for David Dinkins, double D. Uh, he's uh, hanging in there. But anyway, so that they are going to uh, change the subject to. So how about that Elaine today? Uh, and Kramer, uh, very uh, willing to go there and talk uh, about the uh, one of the core four. 
Yeah, you know, Kramer has no sacred cows. If Jerry's acting wacky, he's anti-Jerry. Same thing with George. He's Even though he's recently had a great relationship with Elaine, he goes after Elaine in this episode. Kramer will will tell you know tell it he'll tell it like it is to whoever uh, you know he's talking to. Yeah, creepy Lloyd Braun says yes. She was practically undressing in front of me at the theater, and again, like it's so. Jerry says I didn't see anything, and first off, it seems odd that Jerry would miss that Elaine uh, completely had her top unbuttoned. Um, but you also think that it would be weird to say that in front of Jerry, who's not only her ex-boyfriend, but a, you know, close friend of Elaine. Yeah, but also Jerry's seen him before. I guess so, but still, you would notice if uh, yeah. somebody walked in the room with their, you know, blouse completely open, no? Yeah, but, but he's wearing glasses. Like, he, he can't see so well with them. He, not these glasses. I mean, he can't, he can't see perfectly in these glasses, can he? Mm. He's not a glasses wearer. If yeah. if I gave you my glasses, you'd look like Jerry. But someone with better vision, you wheels, still wouldn't. Wheels, wheels. Yeah. He didn't have the glasses yet. Oh, he doesn't have the glasses. He no, had he the glasses. scratch everything I said. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's no explanation. Listen, so, I'm on zero hours sleep. So, you, have to, <laughs> you know, I get one more week of free passes for this. Time. Yeah. Uh, but really, I mean, Jerry doesn't even shut down where Kramer's saying, uh, you really missed a show. Uh, uh, <laughs> like, uh, basically, like, uh, what's he saying? Like, uh, like, bow chicka wow wow or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I, especially like he, he's, you know, even though he's been there before, I, I, you know, it is uh, surprising, I guess, that he wouldn't have been super into that. Okay. So George is meeting up with Dina from the neighborhood in Central Park to talk about what's going on. And she basically is having an intervention with him. She thinks that George has lost his mind and she sees the warning signs in him, the nervousness, the irritability, the paranoia. And George is uh, too distracted to keep up this conversation because he sees Ruthie Cohen riding around a horse in Central Park. Yeah, what an amazing coincidence that Ruthie Cohen is just riding a horse in the very small park that happens to, you know, just have one thoroughfare that yeah. is right in front of where George is. In your local neighborhood park, people often run into each other. So that's what's going on. I mean, what do you think is the truth here? I mean, actually, I mean, we see it at the end of the episode that George had the 20 uh, this whole time. So there's really no explanation about the, you know, jet setting ways of Ruthie Cohen in this episode. Do you think that Ruthie Cohen in this scene is not re- there? It's a real figment of George's imagination, and Dina's sort of right. Wow. Well, that's something. Uh, I did not think that. I know. Because that- why is she on a horse? It makes no sense. She's a cashier in a local restaurant. Why would she just be on a horse in the middle of the day by herself in Central Park? Yeah. So nobody, and- other than cops, nobody just gets to go and the horse and buggy people. No one just rides a, like a stray horse around. It's insane. Yeah. It's a good, really good point. And Dina doesn't interact with Ruthie. She doesn't say no, that she's not there. But <laughs> wow, it, this is a whole she, different interpretation of this episode. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Because it's not like when we see Kramer in the handsome cab where, you know, there are people that actually you can, you know, go sit and rent the, the you know, again, you would not be the handsome cab driver like uh, Kramer would be. But you end up like you, you can't just go and rent a horse like a bicycle. Maybe you can. Maybe in 1995, times were a little different. You could just go to Central Park and rent a horse for the day? I mean, there was like prostitutes all over the street. You can't get a horse? Uh, what is it, like a city bike? You just pick up a horse and take it somewhere else? Oh, I thought you were talking about the prostitutes. No, oh, I think that- no, no. <laughs> 
Uh, um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like there was a t- you know they say in like the eighteen hundreds, New York City was just like horse poop because it was everyone got around on horses, so supposedly like smelled horrible, and the whole city was just. Uh, like flies and and like horse poop all over the street. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I, from in Ruthie Cohen's day, that's what uh, people just did. Is she Maybe. a horse owner? <laughs> you think she's in like training for the Olympics and she's like one of these equestrian people? Yeah, I mean, did you know that? Uh, did you know that uh, uh, horses need their own passports? I did not know that. Now I yeah. have on good authority that the United States of America is not a pony country. I, I did not think that you would leave a pony country to come to a non-pony country like the United States, but for Ruthie Cohen, apparently it is. Is this a pony, though? I don't know anything about horses. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it, she didn't say it's, it's a pony is separate. Pony's like a kid's toy. A horse is, is like, yeah, this is a horse country. We got the Kentucky Derby here. They don't have the Kentucky Derby where, where uh, you know, Nana's from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. George ends up going to chase Ruthie Cohen on the horse. What happens? Does Ruthie Cohen just gallop away as George is chasing her? Like, hey, hey, get back here. And she just like uh, darts off into the sunset. I, I, I think he just sees she sees George chase after this imaginary woman on an imaginary horse. And then, <laughs> you know, George gives up because the horse is obviously much faster than George Costanza. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't say anything. So, he, you know, the the illusion is kept up. George doesn't even realize right. Yeah, I think you're onto something here. All right. Yeah. I, I think so I now Elaine enters Jerry's apartment and Jerry says to her, well, if it isn't Chesty LaRue now, hold on. I thought that Jerry didn't see anything. Was Jerry just being coy with Kramer and with Lloyd Braun? Ooh, it's the opposite of of the horse that he didn't see. Or maybe he's like mad that he didn't see it. It's like George with the nipple in Elaine, right? <laughs> that like George is the most upset, obsessed with it because he didn't see it. Yeah. I mean, that Elaine and Jerry are talking about this like they weren't together at the movie theater for this. And uh, yeah, he says, I was chewing gum with Lloyd Braun and he was bragging about the peep show you gave him at the Alex. And Jerry, you were there, too. Yeah, I feel like calling someone uh, Chesty LaRue is getting you popped in the, the jaw nowadays also. Yeah. Is Chesty LaRue an actual person? I'm going to Google this in incognito because it okay. might be like, you know, I don't want my wife coming home after a week. Okay. Like, uh, according to uh, the Urban Dictionary, uh, Chesty LaRue is a Bond girl with a porno name. There's a Simpsons episode where uh, there's a Chesty LaRue character. Mm, okay. Uh, so uh, Chesty LaRue, uh, an actress known for the killer bra. So I don't know if there actually is an actress or that's a character name. I feel like it's a stage name for people, but it's also been uh, a Simpsons fake character. Okay. All right. So then the, Jerry tells Elaine that, okay, the button, if you are missing a button, you should go check it out at the Alex Lost and Found. Lots of business uh, coming and going at the Alex Lost and Found this week. Yeah, I, there's like four. This They never show movies. I don't know how like the Lost and Found is so thriving when they have no employees working there all day. Yeah. Elaine says, okay, yeah, it's a beautiful button. It's antique ivory. It was my mother's. Yeah, it's, I mean, just so crazy that, that like this random shirt she was wearing that day happened to have antique buttons that were her mother's. Like what? Uh, this isn't as crazy as, as, you know, a guy imagining a fake horse. Like <laughs> I guess so. to me, this isn't that crazy. <laughs> I guess so. All right. So we go back to what's going on at the Alex. And so... Uh, Kramer is there with Mr. Har Harwood, who lost his glasses at the Alex Theater. 
Yeah, an extra har in that name, I feel like. I don't know why it's not just Harwood. <laughs> yeah, so he lost his glasses, and so Kramer obviously knows that those are the glasses he gave to Jerry, so he has to get those glasses back to give to Mr. Har Harwood. Uh, so Kramer has to go get some paraffin wax to shine up the countertop at the Alex, uh, leaving Mr. Har Harwood alone with the lost and found box, and he says, uh, what a spanking button this is. I like uh, Mr. Uh, Har Harwood's cousin, Jordan Par Harwood, much better. <laughs> yeah. All right. So George is uh, parked in his car and still making bad noises as he's uh, going to be pulling out of a spot that he is uh, parallel parked in and he's getting uh, honked at repeatedly. Uh, here is Ruthie Cohen as he gets out to go and confront the driver and uh, he's still mad. You stole my 20 bucks. And she says to him, your car is on fire. You know, if we've learned one thing from Seinfeld, it's that Manhattan is a tiny neighborhood mm-hmm. where people like Ruthie Cohen are always just going to be driving right behind you. Yes. Uh, and so George is dealing with the fire. Ruthie Cohen says, uh, Merry Christmas. So is Ruthie Cohen real in this scene? Wouldn't Ruthie Cohen be saying happy Hanukkah? Isn't that a proof? <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> it's a fair, very fair point. So I don't know that. Do you feel like if if we're buying into the theory that Ruthie Cohen was not real in Central Park, then is this Ruthie Cohen real? No, this Ruthie Cohen has to be fake also, because this scene is similar to the Central Park. The only thing that is a real question that I don't have a good answer to is, is Ruthie Cohen real in Monks? Hmm. I think so. Which Jerry is weird because George is. has never seen her. Yeah. In monks and the other people know her. So and in the outside of the store, it's the opposite. We're only George. Yeah, I want to say that she's only in monks and he imagines her outside monks. But I, I, you could you could argue otherwise and convince me. Yeah, I also think it's completely bizarre. And we haven't talked about this. Uh, Susan, nowhere to be seen in this episode. And I almost feel like that George is meeting up with Dina like as some sort of like romantic meetup. Is that George's intention? I don't know. But when he sees her back in the old neighborhood, it's like, oh, what crazy times we had back in high school. And he's like meeting up with her in Central Park for some unknown reason. He never mentions to her like, hey, I'm engaged. I have a fiance. Well, the it reason almost, is she wants to talk to him about his mental status. That's why she it's her idea to meet up with him. And what is George thinking that they're going to go talk about? He thinks that he's going to go meet up with Dina to talk about his mental status. If if you're a, a you know a regular attractive lady and you say, hey, George, let's meet in Central Park. Is George asking questions or is he just meeting you? Right. So George is going to go meet up with her. Uh, I mean, it's almost like he's acting in this episode as if that Susan does not exist. She doesn't exist in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, you know she's not mentioned. There's no, uh, and again, a good episode without Susan. Uh, no surprise in the seventh season. Yeah. All right. So as George is trying to deal with the fire, he goes to the florist. Who? Hey, I need a hose. And then the police made me disconnect my hose. And so ultimately, the John Voight LeBaron just completely like burns to the ground. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the whole the hose was not loyal to uh, George's car. Very sad story about George's car. So Kramer comes along. What happened to your car? Oh, uh, there was a fire. The John Voight car is no more. And Kramer says, you can borrow my car whenever you want. 
Yeah, it's sort of a weird scene that has no ramifications in the episode. Well, it does in that at the end of the episode when Kramer needs somebody to dress up like Henry VIII that George says, boy, you really cashed in on that favor. Oh, the uh, favor. Yeah, he doesn't drive the car, but you're right. He does do the favor. So he you're sort right. of sets up that George owes Kramer one, even though he's never borrowed Kramer's Listen, everything's before. paying off. You're hating on this episode, but everything's tying together and paying off. <laughs> All right. So... We go and see Jerry at the theater. Now, Jerry is going to be wearing these Coke bottle glasses now because, again, we don't want Lloyd Braun to be upset. And so Jerry is walking around, probably going to injure himself, and uh, that he is preparing for a trip to go downtown to Chinatown, like uh, Mike Barassi, uh, with uh, with, uh, Lloyd Braun to get gum. Yeah, not uptown to the Boogie Down Bronx. No, no. I think, um, uh, it, like, why not, if you're Jerry, just put the glasses on your forehead? Mm-hmm. He's not going to say anything. Just say, like, oh, whatever, they're hurting my eyes. Like, and then just walk around like they're sunglasses. It makes no sense that he would willingly be blind and, and, and look like an idiot for this. Or, hey, my contacts uh, are fixed. Right, but they're not, they're not in his eyes. Like, that's... And, what, is Lloyd Braun going to perform an eye inspection? I mean, it's pretty easy to see if someone has contacts, and then Lloyd Braun's going to be like, am I crazy or are you not wearing contacts? I would not be able to tell who's wearing Neither contacts. Neither would I, but we're two morons. Like, maybe a normal person could tell. I mean, is Lloyd Braun an optometrist? In the third episode, the third Lloyd Braun is an optometrist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, Jerry is like bumping. I mean, isn't it when, when Jerry is like bumping into counters and everything, isn't Lloyd Braun going to ask a question there? I mean, I think that the contact story is a lot more believable than Jerry has glasses and can't see anything. Yeah, there's a lot of holes in this story. So before Lloyd Braun and Jerry head off to go to the gum store in Chinatown, and I'm not sure why Jerry is uh, so willing to do this, uh, Lloyd Braun wants to get something to eat. And he says, okay, let me just grab a hot dog. And the guy at the concession stand at the Alex says, are you out of your mind? That hot dog has been there since the silent era. Uh, yeah, well, but what, why is it left there? Like, how, don't hot dogs start to smell? Like, it's fine that the hot, they don't have hot dogs, but it's weird that there's just, like, one. You know, you, you have, like, these restaurants that, like, keep the fake food out, but they're usually stuffed. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you don't want to, like, make something new every day to show is, like, this is what we have. It's mm-hmm. weird to have, like, a, one stray hot dog just lying there that, Hasn't like hasn't like totally stunk up the room or something. Right. And to still have like the hot dog machine on is just, uh, you know, a lot of questions to be asked about the Alex. But uh, I don't know necessarily if it's been there, you know, actually since the silent era. But I would imagine, uh, you know, a few days. Yeah. Did we talk about this on air or off air last week? The expiration date stuff. Uh, I think you asked me, am I a big expiration date guy? And I said, I think, yeah, I, I don't really like to eat anything that's past the expiration date. Okay. Yeah, I think hot dogs past the expiration date is, uh, that's, that's, a, that's one right. you stay away from. Yeah, I don't know how often they change these things at the movie theaters and like at 7-Eleven. I feel like when I was like a teenager, I used to, uh, you know, uh, very often partake in like, oh, 7-Eleven hot dog. But I think I would uh, not be so inclined at this point in my life. No, I think we're, we're past that uh, stage. Yes. But we could get there again. Things could definitely go downhill for us. Certainly. I try to tell my wife every day. She doesn't uh, seem to, uh, doesn't uh, comprehend for her. Well, what do you mean? I feel like it would be her doing if things went downhill for you. Uh, we're one great big podcast drought from uh, being out on the street, and I don't think that she necessarily oh, but, oh, understands but, uh, that. Yeah, but true. <laughs> or you could just be like one really bad day from being on the street yourself is what I'm saying. 
Oh, oh, I'm being, <laughs> being kicked out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for That's sure. Fine. Either one is on the table. That's fine. That's fine. I could consist on, uh, you know, uh, top ramen and, uh, you know, uh, a pot of boiling hot water. Dogs. Yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. All right. So then, uh, yeah, it's my wife that's not going to be able to uh, to handle it. Okay. So then uh, Kramer uh, says, like, uh, well, no, he's not crazy. There's nothing insane about eating a hot dog like this. I'll eat it. And Kramer goes ahead and <laughs> eats the hot dog to prove what a perfectly sane food that is to eat. Uh, yes, the most sane of all foods, the, the year-old yeah. hot dog. Okay. So Kramer ends up uh, getting violently ill. He runs out of the movie theater and goes and throws up on the sidewalk in front of the florist, forcing the florist to go out and get his hose. Uh, yes, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the hose is back in, in, uh, in use at this point. No more ban for the hose. Yes, yes. I really do think now the hose should have been the episode title. And so we end up with now Elaine walking by, and she's like, hey, what are you doing with that hose? Didn't the police officer tell you to stop using the hose? And the guy gets really annoyed and says, wait, how did you know about that? And then somebody yells out to the guy, hey, Joe. And he turns around and then sprays Elaine with the hose. Keeve, are you buying that this was unintentional? Mm, I feel like it was it was almost indifferent. It wasn't like I'm going to spray her. It's like, whatever. I don't care what you know. I, I'm just going to sort of let it fly. And if she gets hit, it's going to get hit. Because if this was unintentional, then why did we have to set up that he found out that she narked on him to the police? Right. I, 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 it is weird that he puts that. He almost puts it together too well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But he definitely uh, seems annoyed, then sprays with the hose. And now here is Elaine wearing a white, uh, not necessarily like a T-shirt, but, you know, some sort of like a uh, V-neck type top and uh now sprayed with a hose here in the days before christmas and uh really no ill effects from this for elaine yeah a very uh warm christmas not not a white christmas this year yes unseasonably warm uh yes but right she would have in most december she's getting like pneumonia if she's outside for this long with the with the wet t-shirt yeah all right so elaine now doused with a hose here in the white top. And now here comes Elaine into the Alex Theater where Lloyd Braun is. And boy, uh, Lloyd Braun just, uh, he can't believe it. Elaine, once again, you've managed to top yourself. Come on, Jerry, let's go. So it's the reaction here is so bizarre in terms of Lloyd Braun, where he's talking about how, boy, Elaine is really undressing for me. And then here she comes in the wet top or the, you know, the wet T-shirt, for lack of a better term. And Lloyd Braun is thinking, like, oh, she's doing all these things for me. Come on, let's get out of here. Well, I, I don't understand what Lloyd Braun's reaction is. I feel like they didn't have time to end the episode with, like, Lloyd and Elaine trying to get together or something. So mm-hmm. they make it seem like, because that's why it's weird at the end of the episode when Lloyd says, like, she really needs a boyfriend. Why isn't that boyfriend Lloyd in Lloyd's mind? Like, he's a crazy person who's obsessed with Elaine. Why is he? She's like stripping down and that now she's not attractive to him. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing, the fact that all these things keep happening to Elaine and that Lloyd Braun thinks that she wants to date him. Okay, well, now we have more stakes here that now Lloyd Braun is getting the wrong idea and thinks that he's dating Elaine or that she wants to go out with him. 
as opposed to these like, oh, I guess Elaine likes me. All right, come on, let's go. So it's just like, what do we care if there's just like a misunderstanding where Lloyd Braun in his head thinks Elaine has the hots for him? Yeah, but it, it couldn't it be uh, one of these like, you know, I liked her, but now she, you know, she likes me. She's like too desperate. You want someone who's playing hard to get. I guess That's so. I'm not interested. I, I just think it's, you know, slightly more interesting to have Elaine having to deal with the crazy guy thinking that she likes him. I, I don't even know if Elaine finds out in the episode that Lloyd Braun has a thing for her or is under the impression that he thinks she's trying to get with him. I guess. Yeah. Like the whole thing is just sort of like this storyline that plays out only in Lloyd Braun's mind. And I just say, why do we care what Lloyd Braun thinks? Fair enough. Okay. All right. So they're going to go off. And uh, Kramer says to Elaine when she asks him, what's Lloyd's problem? Kramer says, look, I know you're trying to get Lloyd to notice you, but this is too much parading in a wet T-shirt. And uh, she's like, no, no, I got sprayed with a hose. And Kramer says, the Alex is a family theater, not one of your swing joints. As if Elaine is frequenting swing joints. Who knew? Who knew? All right. So George's car is getting uh, towed away and George is trying to run. Again, Dina is everywhere. Maybe she's in his imagination also. That would be uh, crazy because the dad isn't paying attention to Dina. Maybe Dina is the imagination. That would be nuts. All right. So is George also pop? Did George also sabotage his own car? Oh, my. Is this is the whole Seinfeld universe in George's mind? Is yeah. this like the final episode of St. Elsewhere? Yes, I think so. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. For St. Elsewhere, yes. <laughs> yes. The guy, yes. the listener binging it still in season three is going to be furious. That's what we're doing next. We're going to do uh, St. Elsewhere. All right. So uh, George is trying to tell Dina, no, that it was uh, your, your dad broke my car. He was fit. I mean, didn't Dina see a pop like banging on George's engine with a wrench? I mean, wasn't she right there? That doesn't make sense, right? She should... <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like hard to see someone's dad, you know, become that. But she should like George is totally right. Like he clearly broke the car if this is actually reality, if it happened. Yeah, I mean, George should be able to say like, hey, remember your dad with dementia was underneath the hood of my car for like 10 minutes, like banging on stuff with tools while we were talking about Lloyd Braun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. so. George is trying to say the woman with the horse. She wanted my spot. And then Dina is asking all these questions. And so he's trying to explain everything that the man with the flowers that uh, that he had the hose, but he couldn't put it out. And he tries to say, like, hey, look, it's my friend, Jerry Seinfeld, my best friend. He can explain all this. And then now suddenly now Dina doesn't know who Jerry Seinfeld is. I thought that Dina was in the gang in high school. Jerry was there, too. Does she just not believe that was Jerry? Well, does she know Jerry, the comedian, but not know? Isn't that part of the joke that George is pretending the celebrity is his friend? But Dina doesn't know that or doesn't put two and two together that Jerry from high school is this Jerry, the comedian. Is that possible? How? It's not like that Seinfeld is his maiden name. It's just like he doesn't know a famous comedian went to high school and was her friend. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. That's insane. You're right. Yeah, right. She went to high school with them because she said we had crazy times unless they did they were they in the same high school? Is it possible they just hung out whilst in high school and maybe her and Jerry never crossed paths? I mean, maybe if she was the one saying like, George, Jerry doesn't wear glasses. That guy had glasses on. But George is the one saying, yeah, but that guy, but he doesn't wear glasses. And that man was wearing glasses. And, and George is like, no, no, no. He was trying to fool Lloyd Braun. Right. Yeah, this is tough. I'm not sure. It's a little, it's a little uh, again, I, I don't know why I necessarily care 
if these side characters are confused about things. It shouldn't matter at all. If Dina never gets the story straight, if Lloyd Braun doesn't have an understanding of what's going on, I, like I, I'm, I'm fine. That to me, I, that doesn't count as stakes. In even though it's funny, uh, it's I feel like that it's it's uh, the story is still uh, is a, a stretch for me. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stretches here, but you know maybe we're focusing too much on them and not enough on the. Right. Great laughs this episode where is if, if Dina is ha- wants to have George committed where it's like, you know, that she is has some sort of a power to have George, uh, you know, locked up. I mean, she's just really like a concerned friend about about him in the episode. So it just really doesn't have a lot, enough teeth for me in terms of like, what, why do I care if George's childhood neighbor thinks he's crazy? It's a fair question. Yeah. All right. So Jerry and Lloyd Braun are in Chinatown. They're at the gum store. Jerry hands Lloyd Braun some money and uh, he inadvertently hands him a one hundred dollar bill. First of all, Jerry's, you know, carrying around a load of hundreds. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. He better have some tissues in his pocket. That's right. Map in the other one. Yeah. So I got to watch out for that. All right. So we see back with uh, Kramer with uh, Mr. Uh, Har- Harwood and uh, that he sees uh, these costumes as he's giving him back his glasses and so uh, here is a costume from Henry VIII uh, is it odd to you that Mr. Har- Harwood just has all these costumes lining his apartment uh, you mean the institute uh, is it, this, is, uh, this isn't his house this is the, the no I think it might be his house but, but he calls it the institute okay yeah, the I'm institute- not sure it's not clear for the preservation it, of motion picture costumes and wardrobe. It's probably like a like a like a small like studio apartment that's next to his house or something. Yeah. Okay, so he finds this costume but uh Kramer can't wear it. His physique is too impressive, Raymond Massey like. They need someone who's a short, stocky man of somewhat generous proportions. Yes. And there's only one person who fits that bill. Yeah. Smash cut to George wearing the Henry VIII costume. And uh, Kramer is saying the kids are going to be so thrilled. Are, are there going to be kids coming to the Alex Theater for Henry VIII? Yeah, I don't know why they think the kids are going to be there. Like, I would, if my parents made me go to Henry VIII at some, like, rundown theater with five-year-old hot dogs, I would burn the building down. Yeah. Lloyd Braun right. style. So George ends up, uh, he now he needs another pack of gum. Uh, he needs so much gum in this episode. And so that he... Tries to buy it from the guy in the concession stand. Uh, what would you call that little window thing? Like a kiosk almost? Yeah, kiosk, that's good. Uh, and of course, this is Larry David, who we actually see him here mm. in this spot as the person working there. And George yeah, jarring was, almost. Yeah, jarring. Yeah, he tries to pay with a 20. And Larry David says, uh, I beg your pardon, your majesty, but we don't accept bills with lipstick on the president. A uh, little ticky tack, no? Yeah, I, I, is that a thing? That's that's weird. I'm not sure. I mean, a lot of rules was, for dollar bills. It's not like a soda machine. What do they have all these rules for? I mean, this was not a exceptionally defaced uh, dollar bill. Here, yeah, and what right? if Harriet Tubman is wearing lipstick on her on her twenty? They're not going to accept that. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, it wasn't like that. There was like an X or some like some sort of like a like you know, swastika or like some I know, sort of it's like, crazy. Yeah. 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 Curse <laughs> word. It doesn't make any sense. 
Right. Uh, I mean, there is a. And by the way, give me bit. a, give me a, give me a twenty with a curse word on it. I don't care. I'll scratch. Yeah, it you out. don't care, right? <laughs> I'll take, I'll take your money. You'll trade me uh, uh, two fives for a, a uh, twenty, a uh, you know, a twenty with the f word on it. Yeah, that's oh, fine. totally. Anywhere yeah. it doesn't matter. Anywhere. All right. <laughs> so anyway, George is like, oh, I had this money in my pocket all along. I guess I owe the cashier an apology. How did he get this wrong? You know, George has a big wallet. It probably has an overstuffed wallet. Right. Yeah, it fell out. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, uh, we end up with Dina running into George and uh, that she's like, oh, my God, you're wearing a king costume. And he's like, no, no, it's not what you think. And he runs away chasing her. Yeah. He looks a little bit like Frank did with the cape a few seasons back on the street. And he's trying to tell her, no, I got it from the Institute, the Institute. Uh, yeah, not, not bad that they called it the Institute just for that. Yeah. I guess George's neighbor thinks he's crazy now. I, you know, you feel bad. You, you always feel like George is actually in the right completely in this episode. So yeah. you feel for George. I mean, maybe if we could have linked it to where then she also, because she lives near Frank and Estelle, if they were in the episode and they were also getting this report and then there was sort of more connections to his world. But it's just this person who, you know, has no interaction with him, you know, thinks he's crazy. Again, it's just like, uh, so what? Yeah, that makes sense. All right. And, I, you know, I forgot to mention also then uh, Jerry with Lloyd Braun, who comes out with like six boxes of gum. And Lloyd Braun says to Jerry, like, boy, that, that's, that's a lot of gum. And Jerry is like, yeah, that's a lot of gum. <laughs> yeah, I, I do love Jerry's response there. Yeah. It's very Your like response. Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian. That's yeah, a lot of gum. I mean, We've seen Jerry lose a lot more money than $100 over the course of Seinfeld. You yeah, know, you know, Jerry's- we said we'd track, like, the up-down thing very early in the series. And Jerry's definitely down. I've, I've well since lost track of it. Maybe uh, Christina Wisconsin, who listened recently, has, has some sort of tally. But mm-hmm. we know he's down. He's down probably a few grand still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, and, I don't know when the big know, score is coming to even him out again. Jerry being saddled with $100 worth of gum does not seem like uh, the end of the world either. No. Okay. All right, so then we see in the tag, uh, Mr. Har Harwood is uh, back as well. Uh, They're waiting for King Henry to show up. Uh, Elaine uh, spots on uh, Mr. Har Harwood the button that, uh, the uh, spanking button that she lost early in the episode. And as Lloyd Braun and Kramer are looking on, uh, Elaine tries to undress Mr. Har Harwood and uh, that Lloyd Braun uh, says, boy, we really got to get Elaine a boyfriend. He thinks that Elaine is trying to, I don't know, make out with uh, Mr. Har Harwood or what? Yeah, but not him. He's not interested in this very, you know, attractive <laughs> lady who's taking off her clothes for him. Yeah, I think that probably if Lloyd Braun was reading the situation as he appears to in this episode, I think he might say like, boy, uh, she seems like that uh, she would, you know, be up for anything. Why didn't she want to date me? Uh, yeah, he's not, he's not interested anymore. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Keeve, uh, that is the gum. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we've had, we have differing opinions, uh, a few times throughout the series, but I feel like this is one of our biggest, uh, you know, sort of debates because I think this is a really great episode. The listeners are way higher on it than I am. And you Mm -hmm. seem to be pretty middling on it. Yeah. Well, I would have to say that I I think that there's, uh, plenty of fun to be had here you know let's just talk about you know things that are good i mean i think that there's uh you know laughs to be had 
with the storyline with, uh, you know, George getting uh, uh, upset about things. And I like everything with the return of the John Voight LeBaron. That's fun. Uh, George getting upset is uh is also fun you know i think that there are you know uh different line readings i think are 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 funny in this episode uh yeah no you can't argue that it's not fun yeah so there's definitely uh you know fun point you know a lot of the elaine sight gags are funny also throughout the episode i just in terms of the you know the plot here i feel like it's a pretty forgettable outing for me okay fair enough maybe if they had a different title called it the hose we'd, we'd be singing a different tune yeah. Okay. All right. So why don't we grade out the episode and we'll get into the emails. Uh, let's do it. Okay. All right. Uh, Jerry's storyline of being an accomplice for Lloyd Braun to get gum. Yeah, that's a B plus. I feel like, uh, you know, the first time you see it, it's much funnier because you have this surprise of the hundred dollar thing and Jerry not being able to see is funny. Jerry not recognizing George is an underrated funny moment. So I'll give him mm-hmm. a solid B plus. Okay. Uh, I'll give it a C in just in terms of the I don't know why Jerry is doing anything he's doing here in this episode. OK. Yeah. I mean, he's not the he's not the A uh, story here for sure. Okay. What about Kramer and Alex? A is for Alex. Yeah, I like I like the Alex. I'll give it an A minus. Yeah. I mean, uh, Kramer at least has a lot to do here. I mean, he almost has two storylines with Alex and everything going on with Lloyd Braun. And he's funny. I, I like when he's sitting on the couch talking about like, we're just three best friends sitting here chewing some gum. Uh, how about a nice chew? Uh, so he does a really strong job here in this episode. So I'll, I'll give Michael Richards the A here. Uh, George with everything going on here with his battle with Ruthie Cohen. Yeah, I think that's an A. I feel like there's so much to mine that we've almost like opened up new things here that we don't even know how to answer. So I'm yeah. giving it an A. I won't uh, fight it too much. I will, you know, continue to hold my ground on. I don't know why we care about what Dina thinks about anything. But Jason Alexander is very funny uh, throughout the course of the episode. And what about Elaine? She really uh, doesn't quite have a story other than uh, she keeps finding new ways to uh, make Lloyd Braun think that she is somehow interested in him. Yeah, and usually in comedy, this is done in like threes, like, right? We only have the button and the mm-hmm. wet t-shirt. I don't know if you have like on the top of your head, like a third one that would have been Well, funny. I think that the Mr. Harwood is the tag. I think that that's the third Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess that's the third sort of thing. like right. trying to undress the older guy. All right, fair enough. Uh, so I'll yeah. give Elaine an A also. All right, there you go. So uh, A for Elaine, uh, you know, that she's good. She doesn't have a lot to work with uh, in terms of the episode. She's I, a pinch hitter, but she, as a pinch hitter, she, she did her job. She hit an RBI double. What else, what else could she have done? Got, gone yeah, two somebody two? has to pay the price for I don't care what Lloyd Braun thinks about stuff. So I'll, I'll penalize Elaine here. I'll give her the B. Okay. All right. So, Keith, overall, where does this episode land for you? It sounds like you, you're higher on it than me for sure. So uh, did you go top 50 with the Alex? No, I yeah. can't. You I did. definitely. Wow. Oh, sorry, sorry. I forgot you're guessing. Wow. Uh, so what? What? what is, so then, I, then I'll say forty. Yeah, I went. I, I hit forty-five, and people are going to think that's really low. I'm telling you, we're going to get to the mailbag now. People are going to be hating on you, Rob. Okay, that's fine. I'm used to it. Okay. So <laughs> Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com is the email address, and so uh, wheels. Let's get into our email segment. Uh, where do you want to start? Uh, let's start with uh, the place we start every single week, Johnny D. Silvera. Johnny Severa says, uh, what do you two think caused Mr. Azari's nervous breakdown? Living across from the Costanzas all that time, perhaps? Not a bad theory. It's, bad. it's a good theory, and I liked it. 
But now uh, we think that he never existed. There was no nervous breakdown. Maybe he existed, but he died in like 1989. Uh, he's a figment of George's imagination. So there was no mm-hmm. nervous breakdown. The nervous breakdown was in George's head, Johnny. Maybe Putty opened up his body shop and stole all of the business from everybody from the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't oil worthy anymore. His, his, his uh, <laughs> oil <auto> shop. <laughs> okay. Uh, what about Caleb from not Australia? Yeah, so last week, uh, Caleb wrote in with, a, with an insane hot take, which was that uh, it, there's no restaurant in the world that boxes up your food for you. And I said it's probably a cultural thing because I think Caleb lives in Australia, but he writes in and he, he does not live in Australia. He lives in America's Australia, Atlanta, Georgia. Oh. <laughs> yes. And he says he's worked at the Cheesecake Factory as a waiter for five years. And before that, he was a manager at Panera Bread. But mm-hmm. when he worked at Cheesecake Factory, he would always give his customers their own boxes and they pack it themselves, never cause an issue. Maybe it's a north-south thing. I think it's just like you, it's a corporate policy. Like they, you know, at the Cheesecake Factory or at Panera, they probably say, uh, you know, box it yourself because it, it's, it takes up valuable time from the waiters and it, there's no profit in it for the store. So it's, it's an easy thing for them to do. Right after I said I'd never seen it the other way, uh, I went to a restaurant and my daughter didn't eat a bite of her food because she was dancing in the aisles the whole time. You should never bring your kids mm-hmm. to restaurants, as I'm sure Rob will, will agree sure. with. Um, yes. And, uh, and she said, hey, I want to eat my dinner later, which obviously also never happens. And it goes in the garbage four days later when you remember it. Um, mm-hmm. and, or, or her evil father eats it, thinks she doesn't want it. And the next morning she wants to bring it to school for lunch. And, and I'm in trouble and pretending like I didn't need it. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> uh, my wife, my wife bought um, ices for the last day of school in, before the summer, and I just thought there was like a million ice cream bars. She probably like saw a sale in like a Costco type store and bought. Yeah. The, and so I had so I'm like, oh, sweet ice cream. And then my wife comes home and she's like, oh, Akiva, I meant to tell you that, like, I'm in charge of getting the ice cream for Ella, our daughter's last day of school. Uh, so you can't have any. I went to two different stores to buy like the 24 bars I needed so every girl in the class plus the teacher can have one. Oops. And now I say like, oops, and then I realize like I'm, I should probably tell her. And she looks yeah. at me because she knows me so well. She's like, oh, no. <laughs> Did you have one? <laughs> and then she looks at my desk because I'm a disgusting pig here. And the rapper, sometimes I'm good about like throwing at the rappers Everywhere. and hiding stuff. The yeah. rappers are on my, on my work desk. She's oh, no. like, you had one. It's like Akiva. And she's not calm when she's saying this, and she probably calls me names other than Akiva. Mm-hmm. She's like, I, wheels. Like it was so hard. Yeah, it was so hard to find this, and now I'm gonna have to wake up at like six in the morning and go to like four different stores to find this one specific ice cream bar because like every girl has a different allergy, and it was so. And there's kosher involved. Like it, there's so many different, uh, you know, variables. And now I'm thinking she's so mad. Do I tell her I ate two ice cream bars? Yeah, I was going to say, you only ate one? I no, felt I like had it. two. And yeah. I didn't tell her because she would have been so mad. So I <laughs> forgot about it. And then like a few days later, she's like, by the way, you moron. You're lucky that one of the kids like went to her grandma's house before school was over and wasn't there. Because I bought one ice cream bar and we still only had exactly enough with the kid being absent. So yeah. it would have had to be our kid not get the ice cream bar because the teacher didn't get one. Or, yeah. like, it would have been, like, a world war in the class. Why didn't yeah. you tell me? I'm like, you would have murdered me if I had had the two ice creams. And it was only, like, a 20-minute window. Like, she came home, went downstairs, or went out to the neighbors or something. And I had somehow had two ice cream bars in 20 minutes of them entering the house. Yeah. So, 
Anyway, I don't know how I got to that, but oh, so we went to the store and they made us box up our own food. That's what I was saying. Uh, Caleb also asked, why would anyone put a button in the lost and found? Wouldn't you assume that if you lost the button anywhere out in public, the button would be as good as gone? That's a good question. Nobody would know that it's a button. I feel like I would never put a button in the lost and found. Yeah, but this was a spanking button. I mean, it's a, this was a rather ornate type of thing. This wasn't just like a regular button. If it was okay. like a regular button, this was a very valid point. But this is sort of like this big thing. This is more like a pin than a button. Yeah, but the person like sweeping up, I guess it's, it's there's no like janitor. It's not like uh, it's probably just yeah. framers sweeping it up. Or well, especially no- that it looks so much like popcorn also. Like it was like yeah. a big white thing that looked yeah. probably exactly like the popcorn. Dark the movie dark movie theater, theater. Jan- you know, like the movie theater, the janitor coming in, he's just throwing out. Well, any, yeah, well, they don't hire just anybody at the Alex. They hire well, the I think only cr- people that care. Judging by their cleanliness policy, like maybe Kramer once a week is, is sweeping up. They don't have anybody. Uh, yeah. Who's next? Dan the Benefactor. What has he got okay. for us? Uh, he says, has there ever been a holiday episode of a sitcom where the holiday aspect was more obviously jammed in than this one? Or are they making a joke on how stupid it is that sitcoms always make specific holiday episodes? I don't think that they were making a joke about it, but I do think that they were sort of over it by the time we got to this holiday episode. In the notes about nothing, they did uh, list out the Seinfeld holiday episodes and said that this is the fourth of them. And, and they don't do another holiday episode after this. So I think that they probably. Well, the Festivus is, is, is pretty technically I guess so. a holiday episode. I guess so. So maybe that was sort of like uh, their take on it. I just think that they didn't have a good take on anything holiday related. So they just took an episode that wasn't a holiday thing and then just, um, you know, jammed it into uh, this episode. It's the square right. peg in the round hole. Fair enough. Uh, much like Pop under the hood, they just sort of just like started banging on things with a wrench. Also, Dan the Benefactor wants to know, uh, P.S. more over the hill, Pop as a mechanic or the Mets as a baseball team? I'll go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, but uh, was were the, were the Nationals over in 2015 or were they just getting started? Right? Yeah. Uh, Pop's, uh, you know, Pop's. I don't look at it work. in a linear sense. Pop's work under the time. hood. That's that's similar to Daniel Murphy's playoff defense. So get ready for that. <laughs> yeah. right, Max right. the Millennial. Who's reading this? Me? Yeah. Go for All it. Right, so he says so many of the lines in this episode are great. He wants us to power rank his four favorite. Okay. Number one, this is what the holidays are all about. Three buddies sitting around chewing gum. Good. Oh my, what a spanking button. Good. Why go to the park and fly a kite when you can just pop a pill? Yeah, that's from Kramer, and I didn't touch on that when we were going through, uh, you know, uh, why go to the movie theater when you could do all these things, and then uh, Kramer says that uh, in the beginning of the episode. Why go to the park when fly a kite when you could just pop a pill? Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, Alex is a family theater, not one of your swing joints. Yeah, okay. So do you have a ranking on this? I guess I like the chewing gum. I feel like that's timeless. The the three buddies sitting around chewing gum is one. Swing joints, I'll say, is two. Uh, the the pop appeal's funny. I'm not. I don't care about the spang button guy. I don't care about a har har wood or par har wood or any of that. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think any of these lines are a top seventy five Seinfeld line. No, not even top thousand. <laughs> oh, now now you've made me like write a whole another medium article. The thing is, I remember I wrote that medium article and I worked hard on it. People liked it, but like it got like four hundred views, you know. Mm-hmm. And then like then I did the the uh, now I'm spoiled because I did the Deadspin thing and that has like one hundred twenty thousand views plus the the, the mini like you know side column has like 60 or 70 probably i haven't checked yeah. uh so now it's like do, am i going to rewrite something for free for although probably the deadspin thing was free because i see that they're shutting gawker today 
mm-hmm. and they haven't paid me yet. So I'm going to expect I'm never going to see that money. The Deadspin will probably close down also. Probably, probably <laughs> no, email no, them, no, no, no. Probably email them right now and ask them to pay me. I'm never seeing that money. It'll um, all work out. Uh, They'll pay you only in lipstick uh, marked $20 bills. And gum. They'll pay me in Chinese gum. (laughs) What does Lindsay have to say? Lindsay says, I feel like people don't chew gum as much as they used to. Is that a real thing or am I imagining it? What do you think, Keeve? Only on airplanes? You know, I I think that they do. First of all, there's a lot of like gum chewing for people who... Uh, you know, like uh, have like a smoking addiction. They're trying to quit. There's a lot of like specific gum uses. I would be interested. Like, I don't know if somebody owns stock in Wrigley. Like, is that down or up? It's, mm. you know, because soda, people are definitely drinking less soda. Do they still own the Cubs? No, I don't think so. Okay. No, they definitely don't, sell. actually. They don't own the Cubs. Cubs are spending a lot of money these days. Yeah, but I, I don't think, I, I think they just have the field. Yeah. Do they get that field name forever? What's the deal with that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's right. a good stadium rights deal. I, I bet Chester didn't work it out for them, unless maybe he represented the team on that one, Chester. Yeah. Um, okay. Who's next? All right. So then, uh, also, Lindsay just adds, uh, all the chewing in the episode made me extra grateful. Rob tells people not to eat on the podcast because that gum chewing was really annoying. Yeah. That, I mean, you, I think that's a good. Practice. You say that you tell people not to eat on the podcast. I mean, I have a, a, a pretty strict no eating on the podcast rule. I try to tell people. Uh, and please don't be eating while we're doing podcasts. See, I've never done that. But last season, I would eat every episode of the of my 32 fans football podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but, I've uh, heard a few of them. Yeah. But uh, I, I think I stopped. I, I believe I've cut out the hey, eating. You do what you want on your time. But uh, I think that as a general rule, I think the listeners tend to not enjoy when people are eating. What's the, the worst food for podcast eating? What makes like the loudest? I think probably chips. Noises? I think things that they're really like, you know, uh, crunching. Uh, what can you or get away with? What's like an easy food to get away with eating? Uh, I think that maybe some sort of like a protein shake with a straw. Oh, well, that's a drink, Rob. Now we're, <laughs> now we're getting back to the beginning of the episode with like, what about Solid gum? Versus if liquid? I chewed gum, would that annoy you while we podcast this? Sure. I think you'd hear anything you could hear is going to be annoying. If there was something that you could sort of be eating uh, a chili, maybe uh, if you were going to like, I'm trying to think of what's the most solid thing you could be eating. Oh, you might hear me noise. eating the chili, but not. Chili. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Digesting the chili. All right, uh, let's get off of this. Greg from Vancouver says, as the movie theater correspondent, I can tell you that people overreact way too much about sitting in the front seat at the movie theater. They're not that bad. People are just uh, not sure how to use them. I hate the people who come up and say they can't sit in the front seat because they have neck issues. It's total crap. And if they don't want to sit there, they should have gotten there earlier or gone to another movie at a different time. Boy, Craig is a yeah. real uh, yeah, capitalist. I didn't even um, know he was the movie theater correspondent. He may have appointed himself the movie I theater I think so, the self-appointed movie theater correspondent. Yeah, I thought, if anything, I thought that he was the correspondent of the Seinfeld fake movies. Oh, that, that he has definitely claimed. And like yes. General Pacific Northwest minutia. I don't know uh, if you could appoint <laughs> yourself himself. a correspondent, Craig. Yeah. That may be a demotion. That's a very small kingdom. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Keeve, Amir is back. Yeah, Amir is back. Took a week off. He says uh, he, this is a top 10 episode for him, and it contains his favorite scene in all of Seinfeld. Wow. He's, Amir says there is no better scene than when George is trying to get Jerry's attention, but Jerry's busy wearing glasses to fool Lloyd Braun. I agree. The first time you see that scene, it is amazing. Yeah. Uh, the element of surprise does help. Kramer Amir says this is now the second time Elaine has shown some extra boobage. Uh, that gross word is Amir's, not mine. Without realizing <laughs> Mr. Skin. 
like without realizing it. I'm I'm obviously re- referring to her nipple in the Christmas card. Not that either of you know anything about women. Oh boy, that was hey, insulting oh, us. Oh, but is this the here. thing that happens? Is this yeah. an Elaine specific problem of what of buttons breaking? Of just like ac- I guess accidentally oversharing, uh, y- you know your uh, your assets. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's uh, so Listen, much of not, a problem. That's not something. First of all, problem is is, is, is yeah. a strange word to use. Uh, you know, it's not something Rob and I pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will have to ask my wife if this has ever happened what? where she has lost a button on her blouse and the police uh, were more respondent to her problems. Uh, I have to see if that's if that's a thing that has happened to her. I feel like wardrobe malfunctions happen, but uh... <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, we'll see. Luckily, it didn't happen during a Super Bowl. No. All right. Uh, wouldn't George obviously take the costume in a bag and then change in the theater? Who changes mm-hmm. the costume and walks New York City blocks? It's a good question, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know necessarily if maybe Mr. Har Harwood had to dress George at the Institute. Yeah, maybe he wanted. Yeah, maybe he wanted to, uh, he, you know, maybe he doesn't fit in and then it's just sitting there. I think that's a good point. I think Har Harwood has got to dress him and probably undress him, too. And he also mm. asks, doesn't George's storyline seem similar to his issue in The Gymnast, where his girlfriend keeps catching him in situations that seem, make him seem like a homeless bum? I have no complaints about George's near-perfect storyline here. I just think they clearly went back to an old idea and perfected it. Okay. Like, well, he, Amir is higher on this than I'm. You know, I, I stand my ground of that if the issue here is that a person who is not a main character has the wrong perception of one of our characters and there's not really a downside to them thinking that. I mean, if if Dina thought George was a serial killer, but she's not like phoning it into the police, like why do we ultimately care? Right. So I don't know uh, that again, maybe that uh, George very concerned with the public image of himself in I, I guess maybe for George uh, here. Let me let me argue for why this is important for George. The whole the whole joy in this episode was to go back to the old neighborhood and report to Dina. Hey. Old crazy Lloyd Braun. Did you hear about Lloyd Braun? He's crazy. Tell everybody you know. But instead, Dina, that story is now gone and forgotten. Dina will now be telling everybody in the neighborhood, hey, did you hear about George Costanza? He really lost his mind. Uh, yeah, I, I think. Uh, yeah. But other, other than that, I, I'm, I, I, I'm here calling this a top 10 episode to me is, uh, is uh, you know, very hot take. I'm curious where Chester has this in his Chester PR power rankings or whatever it's called. Okay. Stretchy, stretchy from the mirror. All right. And finally. Uh, here's Chester, the man who wrote a 10,000 word history of his fantasy football league uh, this week. Alexander Chester, did he really do that? Yes, he really did that. He, he, he had four new people join his league, probably because the other four quit due to his dictatorial, uh, insane methods and ridiculous rules, making people pay for the league in May. This is all true. Uh, okay. So people quit his league because he's a lunatic. So right. he made the new people know what garbage history they were getting into by writing them a history of the league. Did the new people quit then? Probably. I don't think he sent it to them yet. I'm sure they'll be out by like Tuesday, except he's probably made them pay just for the right to read a stupid article. Okay. Uh, Chester writes in to say, how come Elaine got the family heirloom button anyway? Shouldn't it have gone to cousin Holly? Uh, Not to nitpick Chester here, but Elaine does say it belonged to her mom. I'm not sure why Elaine's mom's uh, heirloom would go to cousin Holly. Yeah. Bad job, Chester. yeah, maybe why why did it go to Elaine's mom in the first place? That we don't know. And we don't really know the uh I don't think we know the relationship of who yeah, no, the grandma Memma, I oh, believe. Grandma it was. Memma, you're right. 
Yeah. So I don't know if that was Elaine's father's. That's a good catch uh, by you coming up with that off the top. Grandma, Mama. Yeah. That's, sometimes I uh, impress myself when I have a. What uh, are your kids' that, names? Yeah. That, that I won't remember. <laughs> that I can't do. Okay. Um, also, then, uh, why does Kramer leave the theater to vomit only to immediately return? Why not just go straight to the bathroom? That made no sense uh, other than they wanted to have the guy with the hose come back into the story. Do you have an issue with Kramer running outside than running to the bathroom? No. Uh, here, how about this? Well, I'll give you a teaser. I have an amazing vomit story, and I'll tell it next week because it's too okay. long for now. But it, it just happened, and it's incredible. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll be waited with bated breath yeah. uh, for that. Uh, does Chester have a blueprint of the Alex Theater? I mean, maybe the bathroom is on the second floor or something. Yeah, I, I bet he does. He, and if he doesn't, he'll make one this week. Okay. Uh, and then finally, Dina lives back in the old neighborhood, presumably Queens, yet suddenly in this episode, she's constantly hanging out around the Upper West Side and running into George. Uh, that, that I agree with. I think that that's, you know, well, all of a sudden that we, this is a common thing where, you know, a character just like uh, suddenly we've never seen this person before. And now for the period of three days, they're everywhere our main characters go. And then never again. Then never again. Okay. All right. So, Keeve. Yes. Do you have a hashtag for this week's episode? I don't. Did you write anything down? <laughs> Nothing uh, off the top of my head other than uh, maybe tissue pockets. Uh, that sounds weird, though. Pick nose pockets? No. No, uh, it's not so... my, I don't pick my nose. Well, you should. They're, if you're gonna... they're clean tissues. Yeah. They're strategic oh. tissues. Strate- that's it. Strategic tissues. Okay, there you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, there you go. All right. Uh, what else, Keeve? Of course, uh, Keeve, you can follow him on Twitter. He is at Keeve26, uh, host of the 32 Fans podcast, uh, where I'm sure that you could get a copy of Chester's 10,000-word history of his fantasy football league uh, if you uh, post in the comments there. Yeah, no no doubt. He, he would uh, happily send that to you and quiz you on it. Quiz you on it. That's right. All right, uh, Keith. Anything else? Uh, of course, uh, Keith's been uh, watching the Olympics uh, very closely. Uh, podcasted about the Olympics as well on reality TV wrap ups with Haley Strong. Yeah, I feel like I- I'm going to go through some serious withdrawal when the Olympics are over because I've been watching them. Other than when I was in transit the last couple of days, like you know, literally from 7:30 in the morning till they, you know, they end at like 11 or 12 at night. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be. I'm going to need some sort of Nicorette for. For the Olympics. I'm going to have to choose got more gum, Olympics more game. gum. That's right. That's yeah. right. I'm going to have to go to the dealer. My, my two daughters go downtown to Chinatown and we'll uh, get you some Nicorette gum uh, from Lloyd Braun's guy. All right. Uh, so that's going to do it for us here today. I'm uh, at Rob Cicerino on Twitter. Thanks to Scott St. Pierre, who edits the Seinfeld uh, recap podcast. Also, Mike Moore uh, writes up these uh, stellar recaps, which you could read. On postshowrecaps.com. What's coming up next week, Keith? Next week, we're hitting 1996. Whoa! Yes. Uh, and we have the rye. We got a marble rye. We got uh, George's parents meeting Susan's parents. And we have got Beefarino. Now, that's a top 10 episode, Amir. All right. Well, let, well let's, we'll let, see. You know, we'll let's see. see next I, know. I haven't watched it in a long time. Okay. Let's let's not rank the episodes before we even watch them. <laughs> well, uh, I'm very excited to talk about uh, the rye and uh, the dawn of 1996 in Seinfeld and much, much more. Okay, uh, we do appreciate it when you subscribe and leave us your feedback ratings uh, and let us know if the podcast is sponge-worthy. Did anybody leave us sponge-worthy uh, ratings? Keith? I think they did, but we're going to have to, I think we'll okay. save Next week we'll, we'll read. Send some more and we'll read a whole bunch of them next week. All right, Keeve's Vomit Story, your ratings, uh, postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Much more to come. Looking forward to reading what you guys have to say in the comments on postshowrecaps.com. Take care, everybody. Bye.